Welcome back to Pro's Pod. Hello and welcome to Pro's of the Roundtable, where we sit down, have a few drinks, and talk Marxist history. Check out our website at prolspod.com, where you can find our back catalog, links to all the resources we talk about, and a whole communist ebook library, along with a few recipes. If you want to extra support us, check out our Patreon, where you can give your hard-earned wages to some pro-last Marxists <laughs> in exchange for bonus episodes, clothes, and content. Find out more at patreon.com slash prolspod. We wanted to thank this episode's primary sponsor who helped us buy a giant metal linen head from the former Soviet Union. So big thanks it's to real. our sponsor, Revisionism. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So today we have with us some very special friends of mm-hmm. ours. Uh, thanks for coming on, Hi. boys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank thanks. You. We're happy to be here. Uh, we, we have the, the Mark's Madness twins on here. Um, <laughs> Nathan and David. So yeah, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell uh, us uh, what you're going to be, what you're drinking. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I'm, I'm David. I'm, uh, having well water out of a recycled V8 jug because I'm just that kind of guy. Yeah, we oh. are we're real spicy there. Uh, I'm, I'm Nathan <laughs> and I am, uh, as, as anyone who has listened to our show can guess, I'm just drinking white monster energy drinks, just pure into my veins. <laughs> um, because I'm, I'm broken inside and I want diabetes. Anyone apparently. who doesn't believe the into his veins, will take a picture of the IV and then just send it's it It's real there. bad, but yeah, so yeah. white. A little bit of White Monster and some Dr. Thunder, because I quit drinking a couple weeks ago, and that's this is fun. This is fun. It was a real good... No, it's not nice, because I picked the worst time in the history of time to do it, because then I had to read this this monster tome that consumed my life, and alcohol would have made the last half of it more bearable. (laughs) All right. um, Who else do we have at the table? Um, My name is William. I am drinking water, because I have to be a responsible boy and go to work after this. (laughs) I'm Savannah. I'm drinking... um, Mango bubbly right now. Wow. Nice. Fancy. Hey, this is Alex. I'm drinking Bourgeoisie Tears and Automation by Bristol Brewing. Very nice. And this is Justin, and I am drinking Grapefruit Kettle Sour IPA from Bonfire Brewing. That is so fancy. That's a nice label. Yeah, it's a little extra. Um, Yeah. All right. So a couple things at the top of the episode. So um, we wanted to do an episode on... Black Bolshevik. Um, it's a book that is no longer being published. And the only copy online is a really terrible two page scan um, of, of the book, which we will link uh, yeah. until we can do, until we can do better. However, um, we want, we want to, we understand also that people, a lot of people struggle to read online or on digital uh, uh, platforms. Um, and so what we wanted to do was, uh, because this book is fairly expensive um, because it's out of print and there's only a handful of copies in the, uh, his widow, uh, him being Harry Haywood, his widow republished the book under a different title and cut out like 350 pages from it. So um, thanks revisionism. Yeah. So that's big, <laughs> big shout out to our sponsor revisionism. Wow. for that one. I got to wonder um, what three I really, because I haven't found the edited version of it yet. So I really want to go back and find what three fifty she, because there are, there were a couple times where I'm like, okay, this might be not necessary. And then almost every time it came up and ended up being necessary. So I really like, I'm intrigued by her editing style. I want to figure out if it's all just every other time he was married before her and this is some real, real, real petty level shit or, or if there is some like ideological revisionism because his his widow his last widow that that he who he had uh, his son and daughter uh 
Dr. Rebecca Haywood with. Um, that was the other, I think that was the other imp- impetuous to this show was, uh, I, I loved, I, I, I did, I didn't listen to the Rev Left episode with Dr. Hall until, after I finished the book last night at uh, 1130, because I don't do things until there's a deadline. Um, (laughs) And it was really, really interesting because it's that title of that episode is black Bolshevik. And they spend almost no time talking about this book at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's a real disservice because this is one of the most interest uh, as someone that reads books semi-professionally, this is probably one of the most engaging and, uh, elucidating works of 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 marxist theory and just practical yeah, yeah. history that i've i've ever got to read and it's yeah, really exciting yeah, yeah i mean it, there's it's really interesting how well it kind of understands not only the theory that that we'll of course get into with black nationalism in the black belt um and what happened in the cpusa in the united states but it does a really good job of defining and and showing and taking you kind of inside white chauvinism and then how at the end that was kind of incorrectly weaponized to forward white chauvinism itself, which is something we can certainly, you know, see today um, oh, God, with yes. certain eleva- elevated uh, token uh, black liberals and things like that. Oh, it's yeah, just so ab- absolutely. This is one of the best books I have ever read. Yep. Um, and I haven't even finished it, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the, the 350 pages that I've already read are some yeah. of the best 350 pages I've ever read in my life. Yeah. Um, and it's more people need to know about it, hear about it, learn about it, study it. And so that being said, um, we bought four copies, uh, of the book yeah. and we are going to give them out to, um, you all. Oh my God. Listeners. That's awesome guys. Um, and this, so this is the kind of mutual do- aid that comes when you have a Patreon guys do, do yes. keep, keep donating to it. Cause they do good work with it for fun. Um, so what we're going to do, because we didn't want to hand it out to patrons cause that gates it behind money. That's a fact. Um, and we didn't want to do like a share this, whatever, because then that makes it seem like we're trying to boost ourselves, which we're not. So what we decided was that we're going to have a contest, um, for a slogan. So, um, Ethan oh. is going to put up on our website a little form that you can fill in at prolspod.com, uh, which will have your submission for uh, a, a slogan, um, or you can email it to us, prolspod at gmail.com, or DM us on any of our social media platforms uh, your submission. Uh, we'll go through them. We'll put some up on social media. Everybody will vote on them. Um, and the top four will all get copies, and then we will pick the one that we like the best of those top four um, to, yeah, to, to choose as our slogan going forward. And for those of you that are unsure, a slogan would be like uh, Rift Tracks. Their slogan is, we don't make movies, we make fun of them. That's like a, that's a slogan. I do so. love how we just explained slogans and then we did it with Rift Tracks, which is just, the, the whole thing is just solid. Like I do, I do enjoy <laughs> that our, the audience you guys have is so pure that the concept of marketing <laughs> has not gotten to them and they are, they are inoculated from that concept and it's, it, of us, it's, it's wholesome. We've never been advertised we don't watch no. TV. We just no. This is all good. Stay inside. This is very good. We heard about yeah. the billboard things that they have outside. I saw Mad Men one time. Little That's things. advertising, right? <laughs> yeah, that's not true. I never watched that show. Um, <laughs> okay, so that uh, that now that that's out of the way, um, we already know what we're going to talk about because we've already kind of covered it. So yes, uh, basically, you, you felt like it was a disservice that there wasn't this wasn't talked about more. So we wanted to do an episode on it. Um, Mark's Madness, folks. Uh, they 
their entire podcast is like an audio book with commentary, like yelling commentary. <laughs> and, um, yeah, the best yep. kind. So they li- literally like read word for word through most books. Um, so great, guys, great text, strap, great in, podcast. strap in because the 37 hours later, yep. we will have finished <laughs> this episode. <laughs> uh, it, took us, it took us a whole episode to read eight pages one time. So <laughs> This is absolutely true. So what I did was I got them on to read a 700 page book and then talk about it for two hours. So <laughs> let's do which, this. Which is a I weird sort of like punish. Like this is like putting me in a cage with a tiger and just a, one of us is going to die and I don't know who it is, but it's, it's not going to end well. Um, All right. First, so, uh, first yeah, of, how, do you, how do you guys want to swing this? How do you, yeah, how do you do no, it? I think, I think the easiest thing to do is, and me and David have kind of been doing this in chunks as we go, yeah. um, is we would kind of read in, in a chunk and, and, and recap. Cause the other thing we realized is, is that, but we couldn't start reading it until we had like a hard deadline because we're both terrible at that. So <laughs> what, let it be said that I was the I was the comrade and let David read the physical copy of the book while I read all 644 pages on that garbage scanned in PDF <laughs> on an oh, iPad. No. Um, so Brutal. that's the real service that I've done for the community today. Um, I'd like to Thank be you. I'd like I'd like I'd like a statue out front later. <laughs> that's yes. how um, I remember you. <laughs> but but I think the best way I think the best way to do this is to kind of just kind of chunk the book up in and kind of go through it. We we go through things word by word. Our compromise is we will go chapter by chapter. Yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. And They're so, all titled, so it helps. Yeah, they all, they are titled. It goes through, and we've I've got highlights of of key stuff. I will not obviously be able to get to all of it, um, but it's just so I can kind of jog my memory as we go. But uh, so again, we'll if we find that we're going too slow at the beginning, we'll try and speed up as we go and get through it. I can say the back half of the book um everyone that that read like 350 pages or so you got the best experience because that's the uplifting and the best stuff and that's where i kind of want to start so david i don't know how the fuck we're gonna play this game but for now i'm just gonna start talking sure and you cut me the fuck off whenever you decide i talk too much how's that sound buddy got that okay cool yeah cool So Harry, Harry Haywood was born, um, in South Omaha on February 4th, 1898. I've now read the first sentence of the book. That's, that's, I, I realized this could get out of, this could get out of control. Um, uh, Harry, Harry Haywood was the, the son of ex slaves. Yeah. So that's the uh, bizarre thing too. And I, what it would, the nice thing when I was listening to Brett's episode with uh, with Dr. Rebecca Haywood, it is it is mind boggling because she Rebecca, had her so li- Rebecca Hall. That's right. She has a name that's not Haywood. Yeah, I well, should know his that. Name. He's he's Harry Hall. He took. Yeah. He, he, uh, all right. We'll get to that. Way to point out that I forgot things, David. Thank you. This is a great start. <laughs> um, she she is a 56 year old woman who is two generations removed from slavery. Yeah. yeah it's and wild. That, and, and that's just, fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is fucked up. But like this man. So before we launch into it, he <clears throat> lived through like all of the major monumental shifts in mm. like social change in, you know, in the world really. Yeah, uh, and he, he experienced sure. all, most of them firsthand, which is yeah. fucking wild. I mean, like, as an the older, life this man lived is incredible. If you want yeah. a 10,000 foot view of, of, if you needed just a, a, a blurb on this man, he, uh, son of, of ex slaves who served in three different wars, world war one, world war two, and the Spanish civil war. Mm-hmm. Um, and then was uh, studied in Moscow uh, while c- with uh, at the Lenin School, and then was a founding 
uh, member and an active leader of the Communist Party of the USA during its heyday in the in the late twenties and thirties. Uh, yeah. If that's not like holy crap, where's I need more on this man? Because like that is again one of like most interesting man in the world shit. Like this guy is there at like every yeah. single event, and the on the ground stuff I think is what's most interesting. So again, yeah, right. David from the early parts of his life. I mean, again, I never, I don't want to cut anything, but it's a 644 page book. I don't, I don't necessarily want to get into the nitty gritty of everything. David, from the early parts of his life, what do you, before World yeah. War One, what do you, yeah. what do you think? So, is I mean, let's start at the setup. The setup is, of course, is his father, and he goes in, in kind of into detail about his father. He calls him a, a Booker T. Washington type, you know, one that in that, a derogatory way. Yeah, in, in case you still like Booker way. T. Washington, I don't know, I don't know how <laughs> anyone out there, <laughs> but kind of one of those like, you know, we got to be nice to the white people and integrate into into their culture type right and and you got to be buttoned up and you got to be good and you got to show that that you're you're the, the the righteous black man that's been freed and and that kind of thing and they're living in i believe it was omaha south omaha same place south as omaha. uh same birthplace as uh malcolm x mm-hmm. yeah south omaha pumping out black revolutionaries good on you keep going and he talks about <laughs> <laughs> he talks about south omaha being you know I, I mean the white people there are very friendly he didn't really seem to, to feel too much racism early on um and you know up in northern omaha they, they had some troubles but the police the the white people the schoolmasters all there were, were pretty nice to him and then things start heating up a little right and that's where you see and this was the jarring thing about chapter one the only jarring yeah thing. well there's two jarring things are you talking about his grandpa or are you talking about when they got run out of town? when they got run out of town. so the first one the, the one the one thing that goes like prior to that like his in his past before he was born was his grandfather that he tells a story of when they had to leave town originally and a a the, the clan literally a clansman was coming looking for his grandma and grandpa oh yeah and guy walks in the door and his grandpa literally just shotgun blasts a like he describes it shotgun blast a clansman's head clean off hell yeah and proud Axis of the week, right there, ladies and gentlemen. Because if I mean, it's just you love to see it, and, uh, and so they had to leave uh, unexcitedly. But that was that was the early part, and then he talks about, well, okay, yeah, we don't really see all this, and then that leads to David's thing. Because again, he talks yeah. about this kind of idyllic little, you know, normal early American life, and then right, everything seems nice, everything's good, and then all of a sudden, his father just burst in, and I I believe it was kind of late in the day, yeah, and mm-hmm. so they were totally unprepared for it. Burst Person, we got to go. We got to get out of town. We got to go. And they're like, what? What are we talking about? We just paid off this house. We're, we're living here. We've established this life. We can, no, screw the house. We got to go. Yeah. Right. And the, the, the inciting incident of this is just it's not like uh, we got to go. I just committed a heist and we've got like a bag full of diamonds. Let's get out of town and go live. Our- no, it's just some racist ass white guys came and said, Hey, if you beat the shit out of his dad and then said, Hey, if you don't leave, we're going to kill you right. and your family. And his dad again, didn't, I mean, again, there's flight or fight. It's going to kick in there that I'm not, I'm not denigrating the man or anything like that. But in this instance, he said, fuck it, let's go. Yeah, but again, Which seems fair because it was yeah. kill you and your family. Exactly, right. and, and he, you know, if he fights and he dies, fine. But how's he going to defend his family at that point? Exactly. Right. But then you've also got it. Just as such, because they had someone stay behind and try and sell the house. But you want to try and explain to fucking racist ass white people nowadays why why systemic racism is actually a huge deal on a socioeconomic basis and how the fuck again imagine most human beings in america right now their largest asset if they have one is their house 
Period. That's that's the asset that you have. If you're lucky enough to even if you are lucky yeah. enough to own a house, they were lucky enough to own a house, owned it, paid it off, and then had to walk away from it. You want to understand how wealth was was racistly dis, you know distributed throughout our country, like how mm-hmm. how racism absolutely materially affected everyone. And is again, this is not that long ago. We're only talking like one and a half generations back at this point. There's not enough time for that to have corrected itself. So fucking let's pay some reparations. I guess is the moral of the story today. Yeah. Um, that's that's chapter one. Chapter one title: Pay some reparations, motherfucker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> moving on to chapter two. Now there was one little detail. In no, there wasn't. Two. Um, We've moved on, David. <laughs> fastest. His brother. Otto, right? So Harry's oh, older brother Otto is kind of getting some revolutionary stuff, and his uh, Booker T. Washington type father doesn't like it so much, and that's just set on the back burner. Yeah, that's our it's our it's our hey, it's so, our Chekhov's gun of, of the chapter. That's of, right? Hey, maybe some revolution will come up in this book about the communist leader of America. You know, no big yeah. deal. No. Um, so then we jump to chapter two, and hey, we're going to World War One, guys. Uh, who here doesn't know what happened in World War One? Anybody? No. All right, let's skip almost all of this chapter then, because at the end of the day, I'm sorry, it's like the last before things actually start getting good. Long story short, yeah, um, no, no, go ahead. I don't think that that's actually true because no, you're right. The way I was being being very, I was being very, very facetious. But although I think that the most interesting segments of that chapter are before he actually ships off, Uh, when they talk about, he talks about how, uh, you know, by this point he's a you know a young man, Um, he's experienced racism first hand in that he gets fired from jobs constantly he gets you know shit talked all the time people threaten to beat his ass all that kind of stuff lynching is still legal um and but they you know when they go to war they create a black regiment because the whites don't want to fight with the blacks um and so they take this train through the bible belt um into uh, houston i believe is where they end up for boot camp uh-huh. And then every every yeah. stop along the way, they would <laughs> take their entire regiment into a shop. Uh, they'd ask the shop owner for stuff. And if the shop owner was a little bit racist, which most of them were, they'd beat their ass, <laughs> break everything in their uh-huh. shop, and then steal it and go back to the train and then nice. go to the next stop. As you do. Go go out, <laughs> beat, beat some white white people's ass, steal some stuff from the store, go back to the train. Uh, <laughs> and the, they actually pulled a gun on a, on a sheriff one time during this trip. <laughs> I mean, it was some like, it's just my girl's night out. It was very much like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. We got military uniforms on now. So uh, you, exactly. can't, yeah, you right. can't mess with us. We are and going to take and ours. And they were only there for like 45 minutes to an hour. So there's no time for people to like gather a mob to like go lynch no. them, which is what would yeah. happen. And there, right. Now, the one thing, the one shitty thing about that is you heard a couple times. And again, I think it just goes to, I think this went to Haywood's mentality as he, as he evolved. Um, as a thinker, but, but he heard like, oh yeah, the, the, the black people that were left in that town after we left were going to get hell for what we yeah. like. It, this was going to trickle down somewhere yeah, like white right. people ain't just going to take it laying down because they're white people were bad. Right. Um, yeah, but there's one. So the, the first, when we get to Europe, the, the striking thing to me and the thing, cause this was anytime there was like just a wild history fact that I don't know, because that's basically spoiler alert for Mark's madness. That's about half of the show is Nathan <laughs> learning basic facts about history that he's 
should know and didn't. Um, <laughs> um, great history degree you've got there, Nathan. This is really you should. I, I should Ooh, get a refund on it. I really shame should. if we debunked all of it. Yeah. Um, but the secret. Did anyone know about the secret information bulletin concerning Black American troops? Because apparently this was it was fucking wild. Yeah. Apparently it was notorious at the time Haywood wrote it. I had never heard of this. They didn't teach this to me during AP World or U.S. History. Um, I never so, heard of it either. So I'm going to read it. Uh, uh, verb. This is one of the few times. I'll, it's not one of the few times. It's going to happen a lot. It's all I'm good at, guys. <laughs> but I'm going to read this verbatim. Um, it is important for the French officers who have been called upon to exercise command over black American troops or to live or who live in close contact with them to have an exact idea of the position occupied by Negroes in the United States. In the increasing number of Negroes in the United States, about 15 million would create for the white race in the Republic a menace of degeneracy were it not that an impassable gulf has been made between them. Although a citizen of the United States, the black man is regarded by white American as an inferior being with whom relations or business service are only of business or service only are possible. The black is constantly being censored for his want of intelligence and discretion, his lack of civic and professional conscience, and for his tendency toward undue familiarity. The vices of Negroes are a constant menace to the American who has to repress them sternly. For instance, the black American troops in France have by themselves given rise to as many complaints for attempted rape as the rest of the army. Um, so one, that last sentence was 100% false. They went into a little thing later where they're like, yeah, no, that got completely debunked in like two minutes. That was an official letter from the U.S. military to the freaking French forces in World War One. They literally were had to send them a letter and go, hey, guys, I'm not sure if you're aware, but black people aren't really people. So please don't be nice yeah, to them. Please yeah. don't be nice Jesus. to the black people. This is, not, yeah. this is not like like subtle racism. This is no. explicit. Yeah. Do not do not t- take our slaves and make them think they're people, please, because that would cause a lot of issues back home. I mean, I'm literally reading and that was well known. That's just like a well known thing that existed in the world. And I had never heard about it. It wasn't it wasn't well known to the black troops while they were over there. It was something, of course, they found out when they got back. But pretty well now it's it's well known. It's just not taught. Yeah. And then it's uh, the the other line that I highlighted because it it absolutely should. I mean, it it, it rings true all throughout history. But disgruntlement was often voiced in a now familiar form of what are we doing over here? Germans ain't done nothing to us. It's those crackers we should be fighting while we were lined up in the square one day. Our captain took the occasion to comment on these sentiments. Well, he said, I've been hearing all this stuff about you guys saying we weren't going to fight the Germans. Well, we certainly can't make any of you fight if you don't want to. But I'll tell you one thing. And we all we can do is take you up to the front where the Germans are and you can use your own judgment whether to fight them or not so again there was there was race conscious if not class there was definitely race consciousness in these battalions they understood this wasn't some like we're going to serve america because we want to it was for a lot of these people it's the same thing you see with almost um, i mean most people that get in the military it's i have to do this because and especially then draft and everything else everyone was it was it was an opportunity to get out of their particular situation Mm -hmm. but there was no illusion of like patriotism among this battalion from what i could gather right just get through this and get out yeah exactly there um he wasn't radicalized at this point so he was just kind of going through the motions yes yeah which was interesting because that sounds like something lennon would be telling the troops oh yeah yeah, it was absolutely. Harry, Harry Haywood had no idea who the hell Lennon was at this yeah, point. Yeah, they had they had revolutionary defeatism down before uh, before they knew what the fuck <laughs> revolutionary defeatism was. They were on this. Yeah, um, 
there was there was actually a black soldier that they came up on um, when they were traveling through France, and it turned out it was this this huge lynch mob that the Americans had basically put like done in front of the French like this is what you do to black people to try to show them that and when they came through and heard about this the French people were like we we don't know why they did that to that man we don't see anything any reason to do this and that's when Haywood was really like yeah um these these are really not the battles we should be fighting no but I also and, and again I think I skipped that they make out like the French to be oh they weren't racist I think everything is relative I think this yeah. highlights yeah I don't how think we're wild... reading Fanon right now it's hard to say the French exactly exactly <laughs> I was about to say exactly like it's like oh no yeah the French are the, again coming from I think it shows the gulf of how extreme right. Jim Crow and de facto you know post Reconstruction racism was in America but I never want to give the French the benefit of the doubt that they were not somehow racist fuckheads because they absolutely were at this time. <laughs> Because Algeria was a thing. Yeah. Um, So, searching for answers. Um, This is where I think the book kind of started getting its steam underneath it because um, Harry started trying to get into that whole communism thing. And uh, we all know why we're here for this book. And it's the whole communism thing. Um, David. Searching for answers, go. Yeah, so um, on searching for answers, this is kind of in when he's on that uh, with the Wolverine train, I think they called it, um, that went up from Chicago through Michigan, and um, and he again he's getting fired. Is that the one that had Swayze on it? Was Swayze on that one? God. Shut up. No, no, just me. So, okay. All right. No, no Red Dawn references for anyone else. Just this no. guy. All right, fine. I'll just go sit in the corner. No, you, don't get, you don't get your references today. <laughs> nope. Fine. No, it's fine. <laughs> but anyway, um, so in this chapter, you know, he's talking about he had met back up with Otto and uh, Otto was like, you know, hey, buddy. Or I guess that's a little later in the chapter. I'm probably jumping ahead, aren't I? You probably are. So, we'll all right. I'll, yeah. All right. We'll jump. We'll jump ahead. Okay. Um, he was he, again. He was, he's serving on trains. He's coming back. He's comes back post World War One. Um, he he had a little bit. He had endocarditis in World War One. He was treated in the Ooh. hospital, so he had yeah. And and they kind of hand waved it off and said, no, you don't really have a disability. You're not. There's no big deal. Whatever. And 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 kind of passed it off and moved on. But he's realizing again. He's a he's a man that is about to become a communist. And therefore, he doesn't take shit. Um, <laughs> that's a thing he'll learn for his whole life. So he's he's getting he's definitely getting he realizes that I'm moody. I was restless, moody, short tempered qualities ill suited to a trade. Naturally, I had trouble holding a job. My trouble is not with guests. So he didn't you know, when he's working in the restaurants um, so much with his managers, he had problems with his bosses. Uh, again, good, tra- good, good, good idea that you're going to go left there uh, when you when you figured that part of it out. But it's just it's a, it's a lot of. I think the first sentence, what was it? Page 98. Yeah. Uh, was when he finally got up with Otto because he was starting, he was reading Darwin. He was reading Nietzsche, you know, doing that thing that every budding intellectual does, which is read garbage neoliberal shit um, <laughs> and, for a while. And he was in Chicago and he yeah. goes into in Chicago, you know, this is where the Haymarket affair happened. Um, we all familiar with Haymarket. We need to explain Haymarket. We can skip the Haymarket affair. We can skip right? the Haymarket affair. Okay. Just making sure. I, I, I got to know. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I didn't know about the Paris Commune. When I started things. Okay. Well, I can't I assume mean, anyone knows anything anymore. Yeah. But he was talking about Hey Market Affair. He talked about the Pullman strike, which I thought was hilarious because he called it UV, uh, Eugene Debs and his radical but lily white American Railway Union. Yeah. You really enjoyed him oh, calling I, Eugene I Debs lily shit. white. <laughs> it, was, yeah, uh, it was great. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, 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 it's fun. I enjoy it. But, but then you get the, 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 again, the, the turn point, our, yeah. our acceleration here is, uh, 
talking to Otto and uh, Otto says directly, you ought to quit reading those bourgeois authors and start reading Marx and Angles. Um, and if anyone's got an air horn, now's the time to drop it because yeah, oh, this yeah. is where, this is where shit Dude. happens. Um, okay. Yes. Um, he also said he should read uh, Henry Lewis Morgan's ancient society, but I, I didn't have any time to figure out the fuck that was. And I've never heard of it. So I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as it's my want. Um, so Otto and I, so he, he goes back and then we, we talk about what, Oh yeah. You talk about his friend Parker, um, who again, just there's a, there's a big trend throughout this book of, he will build this person up through a paragraph or two. Um, and I think it really hits home, but he builds up these, these individuals that he talks to who, who could have been great, had the theory, had great practice on the ground. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and his friend Parker was one of those guys. And then the last sentence of that particular paragraph was this brilliant young man returned to Omaha to resume his studies. The next winter he was dead. Uh, we heard it was the result of a mental breakdown and thus his short career was, uh, was cut short. Basically he, he, could not reconcile being a black man in America at the time was the theory and, and ended up killing himself, which is, which is, which is great. Cause that, that really just sets the tone for the rest of this. And then guys, Oh guys, we get to Garvey oh, and yes. let Lee tell you, uh, <laughs> Harry Haywood has no time for fucking Garveyism. Like no, even a little he, he bit. He spends like half of the, at least the first half of the book, just like constantly harping on Garveyism, but from a materialist standpoint, he's not, he doesn't just talk shit. Sure. No, it's not. It's not just. It's not like Lenin style. Just like, like personal dunks on guys. Now, do no not take that as a bad thing. Those are good and they are amazing. And I will. I will hear nothing against them. I. They, uh, my whole show yeah. is based around I mean, them. At Trotsky's a level. written a silly letter. We will neither read it or acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. We had one of those. We had. We had that on Twitter this week. It was fun. Um. No. But uh. It was. It was very much. So again, Garveyism, for anyone that didn't know, that was the the original, the back to Africa movement. It was this concept of we're going to peacefully, we're going to ask the government to peacefully pay for us to please go back to Africa and settle a colony oh, over yeah. there. I remember that. And yeah. recreate all of capitalism, but we just want to be the masters this time, please, pretty please. But that was that was more subtext than said out loud. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it was kind of a weird idea because it's it's I almost like learning a, about um, this in oh sorry. Yeah. Oh no. I, no. You go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say it's almost like a. Please a, make us not have to talk. Please. It's almost like a Zionism <laughs> where nobody in the equation is white, but they're still very clearly settlers um, mm -hmm. to come over and, and take over the area. It was, and he he recognized it immediately. It's very very yeah. bourgeoisie. Right. Yeah. The, the idea get, of like millions of black people going to colonize Africa is right. fucking yikes. Well, and yeah. the yeah. thing that should tip you off that it's really fucked is that a lot of white people supported of it. They're like, oh of yeah, just just. Have the the black people go to Africa. Mm -hmm. They'll go back to their home because they totally belong there. It's like, yeah. wow, fuck this. Yeah, yeah. they've been yeah. removed by so many generations. Yeah. Like they imagine, have nothing yeah. in common yeah, exactly. culturally. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. which and oh, you want to talk about culturally? That's that's going to be a huge theme of this book, and that's why the Garveyism thing is important because the 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 intellectual struggle for what is the correct answer for black people in America is essentially. Like that could be the, that is the thesis statement of this 
book. I think if there's one, if there's one grand contribution that Haywood made mm-hmm. to, to theory at the very least, it was on how do you define the, the African American question mm-hmm. in America yeah. in a Marxist Leninist it's, sense? It's awesome. not just an autobiography, this book. It's an no. autobiography slash history book slash theory book because he intertwines his theory constantly because yes. he's, yeah. he wrote a bunch of like essays and articles and books on his theory uh, during this period. And as he's telling the history, mm-hmm. he kind of walks you through the things that he went through developing right. his theory. That makes sense yeah. though. When you have an understanding within theory, you can look back and consider your life and how it fits within that theory. And I've done that a lot in my own life too. Right. That's yeah. so really mm-hmm. amazing. It's why, and again, it's why I wish more, again, these sorts of autobiographies from, from the leaders. I mean, Haywood was lucky to have lived long enough and been in a position yeah, to write absolutely. this book. Um, but again, y- y- I want, I want that Stalin autobiography. God damn it. And I'm mad that I don't have it. But when we talk, when we go back to talking about white, you know, white people supporting the Garveyism movement and then kind of Garvey, that was a, you scratch my back, I scratch yours thing. Cause you get to this quote where it's, who were the enemies of the black freedom struggle? While Garvey claimed the entire white race was the enemy, it did not escape us that he was inconsistent being soft on white capitalists. Mm-hmm. His main target was clearly white labor and the trade union movement. According to Garvey, it seems strange and a paradox, but the only convenient friend, the Negro or worker or laborer has in America at the present time is the white capitalist. Uh, no, no, just no. <laughs> the capitalist, the capitalist being selfish, seeking only the largest profit out of labor is willing and glad to use Negro labor whenever possible on a scale reasonably below the standard white union wage. But if the Negro unionizes himself to the level of the white worker, the choice and preference of employment is given to the white worker. If the Negro takes my advice, he will organize by himself and always keep his scale of wage a little lower than the whites until he is able to become through proper leadership, his own employer. By doing so, he will keep the goodwill of the white employer and live a little longer on, under the present scheme of things. So there are two reasons I read that whole oh, thing like that. Yeah. One, one is you should die a little inside with every word. Uh-huh. One is you, I read it and so must you now. <laughs> two, anyone who um, is a is as big a masochist as me and was a shitty libertarian uh, and ever listened to Milton Friedman talk, David, I know I made you listen yeah. to him talk one time. Yeah. It was super fun. Yeah, I uh, still haven't forgiven you for that. Yeah, we're, we're, we'll get to episode two of that fun miniseries later. Um, <laughs> Mil- that was literally line for line Milton Friedman's argument against minimum wage was that, oh, well, they'll never pay black people the same as white people. So if you get rid of the minimum wage, that'll make sure that black people can stay employed because you you would never pay them the same as a white worker. So a minimum wage just forces them out. And the fact that a a, a person who was ostensibly for black liberation is making the exact same argument as Milton fucking Friedman Mm -hmm. should kind of just expose on its face where we are and why this is not going to work long term for any any serious leftist. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and you look at the conclusion, just look at the actual conclusion of that is like you should make sure you take less money yeah mm-hmm. that way yeah. you can become rich someday yeah and then you could be the exploiter hooray you know yeah. like yeah. i mean just it, just know your place and and do what we say and then oh we promise it'll this will pay off in the long run just listen to us and that's bullshit no right i mean you couldn't be more bourgeoisie i don't care yeah. who he allied with yeah. you know and you skip down a little bit you know again still searching answers i found the theory behind this achievement all there and again he's talking about now the russian revolution and how did he they were fascinated by this in the in the united states because it's especially the, the african-american community because it was a liberating struggle it's like okay mm-hmm. shit someone's actually doing it how do we how do we do this and i found the theory behind this achievement all there and led in state and revolution and god just yes god that, damn that, hell that, yeah. that, that sentence is 
immortal and will live on through all of history because <laughs> yep. all the answers are there. He developed and applied the theories of Marx and Engels on the role of the state and the dictatorship of the proletariat. This work was the single most important book I had read in the entire three years of my political search and was decisive in leading me to the Communist Party. And yeah. considering that that was the moment that I went full on ML is when I finally read, which is weird because I spent 27 hours reading Capital and hadn't fully committed yet. That was a weird <laughs> fun time. Um, but yeah, no, State and Rev was the the one that that finally like locked me in and, and shot yeah. me into the canon of communism. I'm like, all right, all right, cool. I can follow you, Harry. I see what you're doing here. I'm down. <laughs> uh, in his work, Lenin clarified the nature of the state and the means by which to overthrow it. His approach seemed practical and realistic. It was no longer just abstract theory. And that becomes really important because, again, the the especially the black community in America during this time did not want abstract fucking theory. They wanted hard, mm-hmm. actual they, they wanted what was actually going to work and what was real. And you're going to see this a lot because Haywood's just very just flippantly almost to a certain extent hand waves off things that yeah, leftists cool, have been yeah. arguing about it's like, online it's like, for what feels like a millennium. Because it's never um, been practiced. Like so yeah, and it's it's very yeah. mu- and he he also gets into things that again that we we debate back. Oh, did this happen? This happen? again a, a real he's real and he's on the ground, and that's when we get to mm-hmm. um we 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 get all the way to fun chapter four an organization of revolutionaries. David, anything to start with before I jump into highlights? Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of I think we breezed by a little bit too much on something about the Garveyism. I mean, probably, <laughs> but I don't know how else to cover a six hundred page book in less than a year. I don't under I clearly don't understand how to be concise. I don't know why you're trying to, um, but something. He talks about with the Garveyism is is they they were a little like he was he was right that their whole group because they had a small group that they were working with um and, and this group was a little too isolationist and I don't know if that details really necessary but in that group they kind of dismissed the Garveyism and he said they dismissed it a little too much like they wrote off all nationalism of oppressed people because they could see through Garveyism um, and he said he he kind of foreshadowed that like he'll find out later that that he was a little mistaken there yeah. and that is another amazing thing about this work and I, I do love it that Haywood is not right it does not write a oh and I was right all the time right. and here's all the times I was right guys like he is super clear when he's wrong when hindsight proves he was wrong um when he missed when he was you know he self crits constantly yeah. in, in the throughout book, this he'll book do an aside where he's like and i was we were i was really wrong here we made a huge mistake here if we would have understood yeah, yeah. the revolutionary potential of nationalism that existed within the garvey movement that just needed to be redirected then we might have had an actual movement that we could have started mm-hmm. 30 years earlier than like the the real yep. movement started mm-hmm. Which yeah. is why books like this, I think, are super. I love again. I, I have an entire my entire fake internet career is is reading books of theory. <laughs> um, so I, I I obviously stand theory pretty hard here, but books like this, I think, are so great because they they are showing the. I believe a lot in when Mao said that, that you have to fail to learn, like failure is an important part of figuring out how to move forward. Mm-hmm. And he covers so many practical failures that I think people just, that the people are still talking about like, well, what if we did it this way? And if you just read this, you go, Oh no, they did it that way. Didn't and work. it didn't work. <laughs> um, and here's why it didn't work. Please don't make the same mistake we're making yeah. again. And spoiler alert, we're making all the fucking same mistakes yep. they made. Again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super so. fun. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so chapter four is when we first, uh, we, we kick into the, the kind 
Communist Party. We kick in the door and, hey, guys, there's communists. Mm-hmm. Are you aware? So we're in 22 now. So again, so a couple of years post uh, post October Revolution, Soviet Union's off and running. Um, we're in that fun part of Hearts of Iron 4 where no other wars have started yet, but Hitler's starting to look antsy over there, so you got to kind of be careful. Um and then he he goes on. So there again, we white chauvinism in within the party is a huge trend throughout this mm-hmm. book. Um, and that gets this first little clip right here. Clearly, membership in the party, we're talking about the Communist Party, did not automatically free whites from white supremacist ideas, nor for that matter, did it free blacks from their distrust of whites. Throughout my lifetime, I found that interracial solidarity, even in the Communist Party, required a continuous ideological struggle. Mm-hmm. And that again, the idea of continuous mm-hmm. ideological struggle. Haywood is a huge believer, I think, throughout this book in in the idea that criticism and debate and 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 a very very robust uh, dialogue does not show weakness. It shows that you're trying, and if you don't have that, the second that goes away, and you just kind of like no, no, this is the line, and we're sticking mm-hmm. to it. That's when everything starts falling apart. Yeah, yeah. Haywood yeah. is a principled ass Marxist Leninist. Like, yeah, didn't he? he, he yeah. He's a diehard. Yeah, yeah. Didn't he become a Maoist later? Yeah. Or he, he was pretty big. I have, on I, he, he was yeah. he was pretty big on Mao. That's not the same thing. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, he yeah. he had a, he had great respect for Mao, and he had great respect for what Mao was mm. doing in China at the time. I don't know if that if yeah. that would have changed. There, there's some lauding of Mao later right. in the book, mm-hmm. yes. which is fair. Uh, yeah. uh, it's amazing. Mao's yeah. lit. Mao's bay. Yeah, no, we got <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that that is something where, and and this keeps coming back up with the white chauvinism. It's a big big part of the book. Is Haywood's got this idea that that white chauvinism is is not something that is ever defeated in any one person so every white comrade has it okay but it's also not something that like disqualifies you from the struggle Canceled. so it's not like yeah it's not like you got <laughs> all right Very. from now on yeah, you got white chauvinism you're out <laughs> prol of the round very lonely table. we're just here to pass beers <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but then you get into again. There's so there, you had Garveyism, and then you have this. There's a new version of Garveyism, guys. <laughs> We're going to do. Uh, there, it was called Forty Ninth Stating, um, yes. which was this kind of concept of we're going to form a a new colored autonomous state in the Pacific Northwest. So before the Pacific Northwest became just wildly white, uh, white yeah. supremacists, they were gonna <laughs> they were gonna do it the opposite way. And then and no, just it's America. Nothing. No, we can't have anything nice no, here. That's not um, but the the quote from that when they're quoting. Uh, so again, this is post nineteen seventeen. This is after Woodrow Wilson and the fourteen points. He free you know free Belgium. Um, with what moral authority or justice can President Wilson demand that eight million Belgians be freed when for his entire first term and the present moment of his second term he has not lifted a finger for justice and liberty for over 10 million colored people a nation within a nation a nationality oppressed and jim crowed yet worthy as any other people of a square deal or feel or failing that separate political existence and i think this is the first time that we really start getting into because again garveyism the concept of black nationalism going back to africa that was one thing but this is the first time you start hearing this hint of a nation within a nation. Nation within a nation. An autonomous, the, the idea of an autonomous black, the, the, the African American right to self determination within this country in some form. Hell yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and this is again, you can see he immediately jumps on this. Um, this is part of when he was a member of what was called the, what is it? The, the Black Brotherhood mm-hmm. uh, is the name of this organization. Yeah. The, the ABB. ABB. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And so they say, just as just as the Negro in the United States can never hope to win equal rights with his white neighbors until Africa is liberated and a strong Negro state or states erected on that continent. So, too, we can never liberate Africa unless and until the American section of the Negro race is made strong enough to play the part for a free Africa that the Irish in America now play for a free Ireland. Um, Got to get the Irish in there somehow for whatever reason. I don't know. <laughs> Go Ireland. Um but the Brotherhood, they absolutely did not believe in this racial separatism. They didn't want to separate. They didn't want to separate from America um, and go back to Africa and say, we're going to segregate ourselves. They wanted to say, no, within America, we are going to have our own autonomous zone that is still within the United States, but it's kind of ruled by us, which I, I think I, is it this chapter that we get to Parker's or Pepper's Soviet Republic of like the African Soviet oh. Republic. I don't uh, think it I is. I don't think that's this chapter. Yet, I don't think no. it's this chapter, but there, yeah, at a certain point they come up with this idea of basically having a, uh, it was like a last ditch effort to, to save the party. And they wanted a, a Soviet African Soviet States of America sort of oh thing, where god. it was like a separate SR just yes. in the South yes. down in the black belt. Sounds amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God, that'd have been so good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now, of course, I mean, this is, is something where Haywood still, taking this in he still hadn't totally bought in yeah. on the national question mm-hmm. and and we'll get into that with moscow yeah. but sometimes i feel like <laughs> <laughs> love, oh man love guys moscow. it's the best reading like those few chapters where he's in moscow some of the best reading yeah. i've ever read in my entire uh-huh. fucking life I know. Oh, page, yeah. page 302 to 304, literally. These, these I'm going to read it. Barbs Don't worry about and fights it. with Trotsky. Oh, I mean, he just like writes it in real time. Like, yeah, no, this stupid bullshit. Okay. Anyway, next, you know, it, it's speaking it of concern. <laughs> so in that case, then, so let's keep, let's let, so again, this is his well, first I, organization within the, within the U.S., within yeah, the United States. And I want to, I want to be clear um, that part of the reason this happened is because there was some white chauvinism in the, the CPUSA that was supposed to be being resolved in the communist international. <laughs> hey guys, we're going to get rid of that white chauvinism. Just give us like 10 minutes. We'll, get, we'll take care of it. I swear. So Otto basically told him, well, don't, don't join the party yet. Come over and join this, this brotherhood. And if the party can resolve it, we're all going to jump into the communist party. Um, but then it was interesting too, cause he was trying to recruit, uh, one of his friends, uh, like a close, a guy that he had reading group. He was a member. He was in the post working for the post office, which was mm-hmm. a pretty high rank for something you could do there. And, uh, they had a reading group going, um, but they didn't record it. So it obviously doesn't count. Um, <laughs> and then you, uh, you, he was trying hey, to recruit Harry him. And he would podcast when. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, exactly. Thank you. Um, but he, he went, he went through his whole thing trying to recruit him and the guy basically came out and said, I find being black trouble enough, but to be black and red at the same time, well, that's just double trouble. Yeah. And when you mix in the whites, why that's triple trouble. <laughs> and, and honestly, I, I hear you, but can't, it was weird he said, against him. No. At first yeah. I was shocked by his offhand rebuff, considering an expression of opportunism. I felt that he had backslid even from his position at the post office, but he considered it continued in a more serious tone. Apparently he felt deep distrust for whites and their motives. Good call, dude. Uh, <laughs> he regarded the YCL as just another organization of white do-gooders and saw me as their captive YCL was the Young Communist League. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. thank you. God, and that, thank you. And that's how Harry got into the party is he was heading up the YCL pretty immediately and he was like, but I'm 25 and they're like, but you'd be perfect for it. Yeah. He said that he was too, he, he too was for socialism as a final solution, but that was a long way off and he would not put it beyond the whites in the United States to distort socialism in a manner in which they could remain top dogs. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. In any case, he believes blacks would have to be on guard. In the meantime, he believes blacks should retain their own organizations under their own leadership alliances. Yes, but we must decide are the terms and conditions, he said. And again, this is getting back into that. Is it do we want to be assimilated and 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 do we want to or do we want our own autonomous and self, you know, our right to self-determination um, under that whole national question thing that, you know, our, our good friend Stalin is going to get to here in a minute. Uh, so we got to we got oh yeah I heard he's great he's Um, great (laughs) so pretty good so so we get to the fourth yeah fourth convention of the CPUSA the only thing I had in there is that it, oh, yeah. the atmosphere is rife with charges and counter charges of right opportunism, right opportunism and left sectarianism. Uh, this factionalism spilled over into the league, which reflected alignments. Uh, that is the biggest check I was going because it keeps coming back. Um, mm-hmm. those, this, this deviation left, right, left, right, left, right. What, where, who's on what line? But then we, okay. So David, is there anything else in chapter four about the beginning stuff? Because we are about to get to Moscow and I um, want to go to Moscow so yeah, bad. Yeah. I just, oh, no, no. We definitely got to get to Moscow. But I want to say, uh, me and Nathan did have a discussion because, it can get a little confusing when you talk about like left deviation, right deviation, left deviation, right deviation, because we know that like there's left comms and we know there's right wing opportunists. But when you keep saying it like that, it kind of makes it sound like you're some kind of like weird communist centrist instead yeah, yeah. of someone that's very practical and materialist. Right. So um, I think the way me and Nathan decided to put it is whenever they say left, we're talking utopian. They're not grounding anything in material conditions. Right. right. Trotskyism. Trotskyism. Whenever, Um, to be fair, whenever he says left communism or when he talks about the left, he puts it in quotes because they're not really left. It becomes becomes important because it's the faction that he gets labeled as throughout the left. He gets put in this left group and it, it starts feeling... Yeah, it starts feeling weird again. All of this was Nathan not understanding. This is David's doing very nice and going like we came to a thesis as a team, and it's not. It's David corrected Nathan for not understanding stuff like a dum dum. Nathan goes hard on the self crit because he looks up to Haywood, so that's what that is. Uh, uh, Nathan Nothing goes hard on the self. Nathan goes good. hard on the self crit because there's a lot to crit. But, but we decided that we're just gonna uh, make you know left synonymous with utopian when it's when it's right, or uh, synonymous with right and b- correct and being attacked when when it they're not actually this left uh deviation and the right deviation is just opportunism it's opportunism so yeah. we, we figured if you keep those synonyms in your head is the best way to understand this so when people hear us bring this up throughout the episode or if they read the book themselves as long as they understand that they're gonna have a better grip on things for sure uh but then we go to moscow gang um Ooh, and i'm not sure boy. if you're aware but holy shit moscow is the bomb um so 1925 we're heading to moscow in 1925 so there is yes. a lot i mean again a lot going on right now lenin's been um, dead for two years the nep no. is now in the middle of its like success quote unquote. Mm-hmm. um yeah i'm trying to what else can i put into context uh there's a lot of debate around this point uh where trotsky still has some sway in the mm-hmm. um supreme yep. soviet uh they're debating they haven't re- gotten there yet and they won't for a few more years but they're starting to debate collective farms um mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Meanwhile, over in the U.S., because that's where Harry's coming out of. We're we've got the the economic boom that that yep. really lend a lot to American exceptionalism. Which whoa, we're gonna get there. Uh, as so on, we're 
as we're on the way, again, there's a lot of this. There's a lot of pages of the lead up to and him leaving his first wife and no one. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but she, thing, just, she gets dusted off so easily. Because yeah, she was bougie as fuck. His oh. first wife. I mean, his every other wife he had, I will I will stand. I will defend. Hazel was just a bougie, like wannabe Instagram influencer oh, no. in 1925. Hazel gets Hazel cut. Hazel Kardashian. And Hazel, 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 is, Hazel is cut. Hazel is canceled hard. Yeah, Hazel is canceled yeah <laughs> she wanted, she wanted one... him to stay uh out of the communist party and basically yeah. no. like appeal to white nope. people by you know dressing nice and whatever and that was what she it... was obsessed with nope and he yeah. was like nope bye yeah i would have left hazel too <laughs> But it's so interesting too because it's uh you we they go through the steps again. This is 1925. We haven't hit the cold. We haven't even hit World War II, let alone the Cold War. Yeah. Um. But they were still they were having to send him. They were having to go through Canada to get into Moscow. Um. Yeah. Or to get into Europe with the intent of going to Moscow. They. Had I think to, he called it an underground railroad. That's he, he literally yeah, called yeah. it an underground railroad of shuffling uh, Americans into Moscow. Um. They they had to they sewed his um, political credentials into his jacket in case his uh, visas and stuff. Stuff got confiscated oh, at uh, at customs, so it was. There were a lot of a lot of things going on, but mm-hmm. the reason he went to Moscow was not just on a pleasure cruise. Um, it was because, and this sentence is going to make me cry every single time I say it. They had dedicated schools in Moscow to train revolutionaries from all over the world to be better yeah. communists. And they let them come there tuition free, paid them a stipend, took care of them and brought them into Moscow with only the expectation that they would become better communists and better mm-hmm. members of the party. And I'm going to need about 20 minutes to curl up in a ball and cry knowing <laughs> that that existed so and I will never get to see that. Yep. Um so we're Jeez. going to yeah so we're going KU KUTVA 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 however you want to however you want to anachronize it uh uh but that's the school we're going to Kutva yes um it is the University of the Toilers of the East named for Stalin um which is guys get a come on get a better name than that 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 can't be that can't be your I'm going to have name I'm going to bring that back name for Stalin in the name I don't know why you just yeah name for Stalin oh well thank you um so they, 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 he gets to, he gets to Moscow again, first day, one of his first days in Moscow, I think. Um, and he meets a guy who's going to come up a couple different times, but this was the initial most strike. I mean, this, I think was the first time I was just like gobsmacked. And again, we're 155 pages of the 600 page book in, and we've been doing this for almost an hour, guys. If you thought you were getting out of here quickly, you were wrong. And I apologize. <laughs> um, but he, he gets to, he meets gold, his friend Golden. Um, and Golden and his wife had both come over. Uh, Jane was his wife. Uh, what was his first name? Oh. Or does he just call him Golden? No, he has a first name. I don't remember. He what has it is, a first though, yeah. name. It's O S C A R. Um, <laughs> uh, and and it's just not come to J- uh, Jane. But basically, his wife Golden's wife had passed away. They had been there for a, a matter of weeks at this point. Um, so again, basically, perfect strange foreign exchange students show up in your country um, and study. This was the description of her funeral. At the time. And this is one of the first things that, that Haywood saw when he got to Moscow. So a good portion of the American colony in Moscow was assembled at the cemetery. The chairman of the school collective, a young Georgian, delivered a stirring eulogy at the graveside. One of the students who was standing next to me made a running translation, Soto Voce, which went something like this. The first among her race to come to the land of socialism in search of freedom for her oppressed peoples, former slaves, to find out how the Soviets had done it. We were happy to receive her and her comrades. Condolences to her bereaved 
husband, our comrade Golden, and to the rest of the Negro students, the whole university has suffered a great loss. Rest in peace, Jane Golden. You were with us only a short time, but all of us have benefited from your presence and comradeship. Turning to Golden, he said, We Soviet people and comrades of oppressed colonial and dependent countries must carry on. We pledge our undying support to the cause of your people's freedom. Long live the freedom of our Negro brothers in America. Long live the Soviet Union and its Communist Party. Beacon of light for the struggle, freedom of all oppressed peoples. Holy shit. Yeah, that really pulls your heartstrings. And I've already read this. Right. Yeah. (laughs) God damn. It's there's a lot of those moments, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and so again, this is but that's just coming from the same man who served in World War, quote unquote, served in World War One, had to yeah. see a black man like hung from a lamppost right. in a French town by the American military who sent a letter to France to talk about how black people aren't people. And then he comes to the Soviet Union and a comrade dies there and they do a funeral procession led by those comrades and then talk about how the Soviet Union stands with colonized people right off the bat like that's his first introduction to the soviet union Mm -hmm. yeah like before he's there his idea of being treated like a human being which is a rarity for him was omaha before it got bad and france where he's seeing people be lynched yeah and all of a sudden he's like what wow like that floored him Right. And then you get into and then you you kind of change gears and we jump into. So what was the school like? What was actual study at Kutva? Uh, what was that like? Uh, we students studied the classic works of Marx, Engels, Lenin and Stalin. <laughs> unlike the past schooling we had known, this whole body of theory was related to practice. Theory oh, was not regarded as dogma, but as a guide to action. So you're telling me that practice is actually theory in action? Hmm. Uh, it's so it's not it's just so, doing stuff <laughs> it's uh, in, ni- in May 1925 Stalin delivered a historic speech at the school outlining Kutva's purpose and its main task his lecture was the subject of continuous discussion and study it was our introduction to Marxist theory on the national question and its development by Lenin and Stalin so we jump down the starting point for us was to understand that the formation of peoples into nations is an objective law of social development around which the Bolsheviks particularly Lenin and Stalin had developed a whole body of theory according to this theory a nation is a historically constituted stable community of people based on four main characteristics and this becomes debated throughout the whole book so that's the only reason i'm doing this one verbatim uh common territory common economic life common language and common psychological makeup or national character anyone that's read stalin's uh uh what is is found? It's not foundations of leninism that he does no, the national, national question, question on. yeah it's, it's not a question. national question yeah, it's very good yeah, it's very good. But this is, again, this is a short kind of brief. And yeah. this is how they were. This is how they were studying that. This was how they applied it in school. Um, since the development of imperialism, the liberation of the oppressed nations has become a question whose final resolution would only come through proletarian revolution. Fuck yes. The guiding principle of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union on the national question was to bring about the unity of the laboring masses of the various nationalities for the purpose of waging a joint struggle. First to overthrow czarism and imperialism, then to build the new society under a working class dictatorship. The accomplishment of the latter required the establishment of equality before the law of all, for all nationalities with no special privileges for any one people and the right of the colonies and subject peoples to separate. So again, this gets into, and we're going to get there as we go throughout Moscow, but getting yeah. into, again, the national question and the, the constant thing that, that, that Haywood is, is reckoning with is how, okay, how does this apply in America? That's why America's there. stupid. They, they send him it's, there to study the national question. 
Exactly. Yeah, and so it, I mean, it's exactly like, hey, I I've got to wrap my head around this. I've got uh, to devote part of my life to this. What what does this mean? Yep. And, and for anybody that thinks that like life under Stalin was some nightmare for national minorities, it gets debunked over and over and over oh, and over yes. and over. Oh my god! Oh, All yeah. like okay, and we're gonna uh, trust me. It's highlighted. We're gonna get there. I don't. I we don't. Nothing. 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 We don't need to here. jump ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, because it's gonna happen. Patience. Um, <laughs> direct and determined so the precondition for forming such unity is a proletariat of, of the oppressor nations gives direct and determined support to the liberation movement of the oppressed peoples against imperialism of its own country for no nation can be free if it oppresses other nations mm-hmm. angles this support implies the advocacy defense and implementation of the slogan of the right of nations to secession to independent existence as states and this became very this again this is fa- founding kind of how okay so in America what would that look like kind of a thing mm-hmm. um, but again it just goes to show this was what they were learning in school this is what they're teaching so yeah they they very clearly were not just trying to plow over every other national like there's a reason you don't just call the Soviet Union Russia it wasn't fucking Russia there were a whole mm-hmm. bunch of other countries yep, in there guys yeah. and I, their hate, nation, I hate when they people were, do that I hate it they were wildly respected um, understand they all yeah. their, their own nations they were they were told to flourish so it just keeps going over and over David, do you have anything before I launch into more highlights? Because God, I have no, them. no. We we got to get through these highlights. Yes. At the time of the revolution, there were many nationalities within the borders of the Soviet Union in which the characteristics of nationhood had not yet fully matured, and in fact had been suppressed by the czars. It was the Soviet system itself which became a powerful factor in the consolidation of these nationalities into nations, as socialist industry and collective farming created the economic basis for this consolidation. So Haywood's even arguing, and, and not even arguing, he's just stating his fact: the Soviet Union is the reason some of these nations were allowed to became into existence they didn't they didn't functionally have a nation until you know we got the industrialization in there that allowed them to to form the economic basis of their nationhood yeah it's wild Yeah, I mean, and and you could think of of some of the nations where that's you know definitely true, right? I mean, you can think of like the Tuvan um, socialist throat Republic. singers. <laughs> what? Ah, uh, you say Tuvan, I just hear throat oh, singers. Okay, I just think of that. Um, oh, that, I can't I can't make the noise obviously because yeah, I haven't studied Tuvan hard. throat singing, but it's there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of a big thing, and he'll he'll even get into like Ukraine, and and a lot of times today, people mm-hmm. like play off Ukraine as this you know horrible, horribly occupied state by the Soviet Union, and then he talks about how Lenin went in and was like, okay, so we got to let the kulaks exist in Ukraine a little bit more because their their self determination is important, and we'll swing back to this later. Yeah, and boy, and then, did Stalin swing back later. <laughs> oh, oh, swung hard, swung decisively. As Joe was one. Um, oh, another another chunk here that just makes me wistful. Um, students had the right of citizens voting and participating in local elections. The school discussed and dealt with all issues which Soviet workers and peasants discussed at their workplaces. As with all students who pursued courses in higher education in the Soviet Union, we at Kutva received full room and board, clothes, and a small stipend for spending money. There were no. There was, of course, there was, of course, no tuition. Uh, we used to attend workers' cultural clubs and do volunteer work, like working Saturdays to help build the Moscow subways. Education for us Which was not in ivory tower. If you've never seen it's, them, look at oh, it. Oh, yeah. 
Just you know, the, the students and recent ex students in the room are weeping right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. are all aching. So many tears. <laughs> Educa- education for us was not an ivory tower, but a true integration into the Soviet <sighs> society, where we received firsthand knowledges from our experiences. And that, again, that just I've been I've been out of school for far longer than I want to even reckon with at this point but imagine just imagining that your education is a practical thing that it is hand in hand and that it is it's just so opposite of that kind of ivory tower you know stereotype that you think of of every other western fucking yeah mm -hmm. can you can you earn your education and still only if your parents can pay for it and still only it's preparing for a job and it's none of that yeah a class that stands out in my memory was one on how to make a revolution Guys, they had a class on how to make a revolution. What? Like, I, we, how the fuck are we failing this hard? They had a class. We we got it. I need to take the time that. machine because that is class that doesn't Prager? exist anymore. Is, it's I, is, are you sure it's not on PragerU somewhere? I think I saw it on PragerU somewhere. <laughs> it might be. Ah. Yep. A class that stands out of my memory was on how to make a revolution to seize power once the situation was ripe. This course consisted of a series of lectures by a young Red Army officer. Mm-hmm. He had been a heroic figure in the Moscow uprising of 1917 and the subsequent subsequent seizure of power by the Bolsheviks in that city. And again, that just to me. Again, just such practical education from the people that understood it, not fucking just professors spouting shit off. (laughs) Get out, Noam Chomsky. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Noam. Fucking Noam. Oh, and then we get to, so, oh yeah. So then there's one. So before I have one last thing before we get to Trotsky. So I'm going to read this and then it's Trotsky. So just anything you want to cover on this chapter after this. Yeah. Oh, there's a whole chapter on Trotsky dumps guys. It gets so good, but this is the, again, we talk about the, the racism and, and how different this was. Um, in the Soviet Union, remnants of national and racial prejudice from the old society were attacked by education and law. It was a crime to give or receive direct or indirect privileges or to exercise discrimination because of race or nationality. Be wild if we had like that in our country where that's supposed to be a law. 2019, um, this still doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah. During my entire stay in the Soviet Union, I encountered only one instance of racial hostility. It was on a Moscow streetcar. Basically, drunk guy comes into streetcar, says something about, mumbles something about, about black devils in our country. Um, and literally, the entire streetcar like <laughs> shuts down, grabs him, goes, how dare you scum insult people who are guests of our country? They then had an impromptu on-the-spot meeting where they debated what to do with the man. So that like mock trial with Judge Reinhold. Just like, here we go, guys. Let's do this. We're having this. Um they they decide that no we're taking her to the cop Haywood doesn't even want to do anything but he's like no yeah, you yeah. don't understand we have to do this this is how you this is how you learn like this is how we do things here um they took him down to the police station they had to make their statement and Haywood's like I don't I don't want anything to happen to him they're like no we're we're very sorry they apologized profusely they felt so bad and they said no we're going to keep him overnight and maybe that will teach him his lesson and imagine if the drunk tank was used for being a shithead instead of just being like imagine if just being a racist asshole was enough to get you thrown in jail overnight (laughs) as opposed to like a uh, I don't know a blue check mark on Twitter or something I don't know Well, the the guy who did it after he sobered up he apologized to Haywood he was like I'm so sorry I was just like wasted and off my ass I'm sorry I didn't mean it you're a great comrade yeah it's it's why it keeps going up and so and then the last part that whole last part of that chapter is all on uh big bill haywood yes uh, but who's, i mean we're not gonna get into him here but he's yeah. a, he's a figure people should know he, a lot about his founding member of the wobblies and a founding member of cpusa yes yeah. big bill, he's, big he's bill no harry haywood, but he's still pretty cool 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but this is not the forum to, to go into Big Bill Haywood. It is the forum to go into chapter six, which is aptly titled Trotsky's Day in Court. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's here. It's it's here. I never thought I'd see the day. Um, but by the time. All right. So we jump. We jump down. Uh, they're worried about a Thermidorian reaction, which. Oh, Ter- God. Thermidorian. Thermidorian. Thermidor. Okay. Thermidor was the name of July in okay. the French I don't know French, about the French Revolution. French Revolutionary calendar, I okay. believe. Come at me, bro. Um, unless I'm wrong, in which case edit this all out and make it sound like I wasn't just a dick. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Uh, but by the time black American students arrived, the temporary attraction to Trotsky had been reversed. So he says early on, oh, people kind of, initially people were like, ooh, who's this Trotsky guy? Oh, wait, why is he wearing those stupid glasses? Oh, what's with that stupid haircut? Ooh, I don't like this guy. Stupid leather um, uniform. But by the time the black American students arrived, the temporary attraction had been reversed. The issues involved in the struggle with Trotsky were discussed in the school. They involved the destiny of socialism in the, in the Soviet Union, which way were the Soviet people to go? Was What was to be the direction of their economic development? Was it possible to build a socialist economic system? These questions were not only theoretical ones, but were issues of life and death. The economic life of the country would not stand still and wait while they were being debated. That sentence right there is such a fucking key to why... Mm-hmm. Again, fucking they are you you cannot just be neutral on a moving train. You can't just be standing here and go, well, let's figure it out. They were making huge decisions in real time, and anyone that wants to armchair quarterback them can get fucked and send them to me and I'll fucking have that conversation. But no, <laughs> it, it was very much on the ground practically. People were not in the interest of of just idle theory. They wanted to know how the fuck is this going to apply to us now? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something where like, when you look back self critique, it's very, very good to think, you know, how do we do this better next time? How do we, what mistakes were made? How do we not make those same mistakes? When you go back to critique or self critique and you're like, uh, well, these guys are just big fuck ups. You're already off to a horrible, horrible foot. Yeah. Well, so before, like before we move on and we'll, I'm sure you'll hit it again later, but the, so the lie, which I now know is a lie from reading this book, the dominant narrative is that in the Soviet Union, Stalin was a dictator and he used his power to silence Trotsky and therefore expel him from the Soviet Union. However, oh. up until the point, literally until the point that Trotsky is expelled from the party, they are teaching Trotsky in the school. So if Stalin is trying to silence Trotsky and get him out, then why are they teaching Trotsky in the school that existed under under Stalin? Because he was literally taught like class to class debate. They debated his theory as we you just kind of addressed. Mm-hmm. But they yeah. don't just do that in 1926. They do that all the way up until the point at which he's expelled from the party. But according to democratic centralism, when somebody's expelled, it's been debated, it's been decided. That's the end of it. And that's what nobody ever fucking talks about because it had nothing to do with Trotsky, like trying to get rid of Trotsky. It had to do with the fact that the it was voted on. It was decided that (laughs) they were not going to pursue Trotsky's line. And he still tried to have underground meetings to overthrow the Mm -hmm. uh, to the Supreme Soviet and like get it to. Yep. Yep. Go on. Over (laughs) and over and over again. And that's that's the big that's the other. And you're no, you're 100 percent right, though, because it's so that was extremely striking reading this is how many chances people were given. You think to modern day examples, Venezuela, mm-hmm. um, the, the way Juan Guaido was treated by Maduro of this, this, this narrative of you have these, Oh, these bloodthirsty monsters, dictators. 
dude, you staged a coup against him. You, you, and, and he, the guy is still walking around as far as I, last check, he's still chilling. Like, like life's good. They give so many chances and, and and we're going to get, we're going to get to it. So I don't get too far ahead of myself because I'll end up repeating myself ad nauseum, but you're, you're hundred percent right. This concept of, oh, it was all on, 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 you know, Stalin had an iron, like had one hand on a lever and he just pushed that lever and people disappeared and things happened the way he wanted to is, is a fucking bullshit narrative. And this book is the best and most just practical way I've ever seen to show that Mm -hmm. because it's just so offhanded the way he taught. He's talking about this in the seventies. This isn't like a 2019 Twitter people trying to make shit up. This is literally just a guy who was there saying, no, we, yeah, we talked about Trotsky, but we kind of thought he was a bit of an idiot and we just didn't really pay attention (laughs) to him. Um, as it was pointed out in our classes, Trotsky portrayed the peasantry as an undifferentiated mass. He made no distinction between the masses of peasants who worked on their own land, the Mujiks, I think. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, Justin, come in and save me here. And the exploiting strata who hired labor, the Kulaks. You may have heard of them. Uh, <laughs> his conclusions long. openly contradicted the strategy of the Bolsheviks developed by Lenin of building the worker-peasant alliance as the basis for the dictatorship of the proletariat. Further, they were at complete variance with any realistic economic or social analysis. I just love how flippantly he goes. And they were also just complete bullshit. Right. Um, <laughs> like he comes, he populated his own theory of quote unquote permanent revolution. Um, he threw around a good deal of left sounding rhetoric, but his theories were thoroughly defeatist and class collaborationist um, <laughs> just over and over. This, this sounds like all of the Twitter groups that like claim anti-imperialism and just to like do the imperialist narratives for Rajava and all that stuff. It's like, Oh, it sounds real left. Until you actually look at the real world. Yeah. Given the state of the revolutionary forces at the time, the position was dangerously defeatist. So again, he's talking about Trotsky's entire theory here. Um, For instance, 1923 marked a period of recession for the revolutionary wave in Europe. I think, yeah, everyone's kind of aware of that. It was a year of defeat for communist movements in Germany, Italy, Poland, and Bulgaria. What then, Stalin asked, is left for our revolution? So it vegetate in its own contradictions and rot away while waiting for the world revolution? To that question, Trotsky had no answer hmm. like the only time he didn't have something he wanted to say um stalin's reply was to build socialism in the soviet union the soviet working class al- aligned with the peasantry had vanquished its own bourgeoisie politically and was fully capable of doing the job economically and building up a socialist society stalin's position did not mean the isolation of the soviet union the danger of capitalist restoration still existed and would exist until the advent of classless society the soviet people understood that they could not destroy this external danger by their own efforts that it could only be finally destroyed as a result of a victorious revolution and at least several of the countries of the west the triumph of the soviet in this the triumph of socialism in the soviet union could not be final as long as the external danger existed therefore the success of the revolutionary forces in the capitalist west was a vital concern of the soviet people when you talk about narratives that just get completely fucking debunked this thing I keep hearing all the time of like, no, they didn't care about anyone else. They just wanted to consolidate power in their own country and have the, have their own little cabal. They didn't care about so the people, everyone in the streets knew that this was not going to last if you did not push the revolution further. This whole thing of like Trotsky, like, oh, well, you know, they didn't want internationalism. They, you know, Trotsky wanted a revolution. They all just wanted to sit back. No, they recognized they needed to do that, but they also knew what the fuck the thing called timing was and that it might be important occasionally when you're trying to do a revolution. Yeah, I mean, there's so many people out there that that are just like, oh, socialism in one country? You can't have that gotcha tank. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't they believe- probably learned... They probably learned these good theories in their class on how to start a revolution that they had. <laughs> how about we get one of those 
and then you come to me with your bullshit, <laughs> your nonsense. We students felt that Trotsky's position denigrated the achievement of the Soviet revolution. That I think is a huge one right there. Yeah, that is yeah. really, you want to talk about what did the people on the ground actually think? They thought that Trotsky was shitting yes, over what yeah. they had just accomplished. And, and, and was, why would you and, line and up and behind that how they literally did that when they go through the anniversary celebration. Yep. Uh, the struggle raged on over a period of five years, 22 to 27, during which time the Trotsky block had access to the press and Trotsky's works were widely circulated for everyone to read. So what Trotsky you're trying to say not- is that Stalin wasn't silencing Trotsky? Hmm. He was not defeated by bureaucratic decisions or Stalin's control of the party apparatus, as his partisans and Trotskyite historians claim. He had his day in court and finally lost his because his whole position flew in the face of Soviet and world realities. He was doomed to defeat because his views were incorrect and failed to conform to objective conditions, as well as the needs and interests of the Soviet people. I don't know how else. Again, I don't know how else to say it. That is from a person that was there. Yep. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> um, And then this sentence here, the one that David has hinted at. Um. <laughs> So th- th- you, you talk about Trotsky's day in court and the day in court was it was the plenum of the executive committee of the Communist International. Uh, they were meeting in late 26. Um, he didn't get it. Haywood didn't get in, but his uh, uh, brother Otto did. Otto had made it over. Um and he described the session and the stellar performance of Trotsky. Stalin made the report for the Russian delegation. Trotsky then asked for two hours to defend his position. Uh, he was given one. He spoke in Russian <laughs> and then personally translated and delivered his speech in German and then in French and all and held the floor oh for about God. three hours, which sounds like a Mayor Pete thing that to sounds, do. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, that, that sounds, sounds like, like some Mayor Pete bullshit where it's just yeah. like, look at me. I can do it in a right. different language now. <laughs> they give you one hour and you take three. Right. Yeah. Otto said it was the greatest display of oratory he had ever heard. Despite this, Trotsky and his allies, Zinoviev <laughs> and Kamenev, suffered a resounding defeat, obtaining only two votes from the whole body. It's such an encapsulation of Trotsky right. in a fucking nutshell. It's, oh, he was so, he, we have, it was the greatest speech I've ever heard. Did you vote for it? No. Fuck, no. <laughs> Come on. Like, just because he talked good don't mean he was he saying anything. Good. Trotsky talked good. Yes. And, and I mean, again, under... The Soviet Union, they employ democratic centralism. Right. And once something is decided by the party, the debate is done. Exactly. They have heard the piece and then they pass it. Yep. And the other, but, and that's the important part because that sounds like when you first hear that, you go, Oh, well, that sounds pretty authoritarian. (laughs) We're getting in as we go through this, the, when they decide something, it's, it's, the amount of debate that goes into deciding a party line in the Soviet Union and the Communist International is more debate than anyone in 2019 can imagine. It is literally like it was five years of debate, basically. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, they, it is heavy, heavy. Th- I mean, it's back and forth and back and forth. And 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 w- when you decide the line, it's not because the other guy didn't get to have his say and right. didn't get his brilliant idea out there. It's because everyone else thought you were an idiot. Right. <laughs> 
it's I mean, it's just not that hard. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's amazing. There's actually a, a period in the middle of this book where I was thinking these things these guys are saying, these two sides are getting a little redundant because yeah. that's how long they debated it, where he's writing this out. And in his overarching summary, where he's just summarizing the debate, yeah. it's just it's redundant. It gets voiced so much. And but that's what you see is it's like the, the things they were arguing. I mean, they're getting down to the things they're debating are like like one paragraph differences right. in theory to a certain level really by the familiar. end of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> then they, they talk about, yeah, the 10th anniversary Trotsky's followers attempted to stay. So again, they're at the 10th anniversary of uh, the revolution. Trotsky's followers attempted to stage a counter demonstration <laughs> oh in opposition to the traditional <laughs> celebration. I remember it's, vividly. It's this- it was basically like reminiscent of like the, have you seen like the pictures of the, uh, white history month celebration oh, or whatever. Yeah. That's, basically what <laughs> That's exactly very cool. They, they cool. as they passed the hotel, <laughs> leaflets were showered down on us, and orators appeared at windows shouting slogans of "Down with Stalin." So they, so they started off with newspapers. Classic, yeah. classic they, trot. They, <laughs> they were answered Sorry, with cat was... calls. They were answered with cat calls and booing from the crowds <laughs> in the streets below. We seized the le- we seized the leaflets and tore them up. This attempt to rally the people against the party was a total failure and struck no responsive chord among the masses. It was equivalent to rebellion, and this demonstration was the last overt act of the Trotskyist opposition. Later, many Trotsky followers criticized themselves and were accepted back into the party. Wait a minute. We didn't just murder all of them. What? I thought we murdered all of them. <laughs> we, we should have murdered all of them, to be fair, but that's not the point. Um, I'd say it's but, 2020, but we, did it, but we didn't because cooler heads than me prevailed. Um, but among them was a hard core of bitter enders who criticized themselves publicly only in order to continue the struggle against Stalin's leadership from within. Their bitterness fed on itself and they emerged later in the 30s as part of the conspiracy which wound up on the side of can you guess the fucking nazi nazis nazi <laughs> germany yikes <laughs> throughout the whole struggle we black students at the school have been ardent supporters of the position of stalin and the central committee most certainly were stalinists whose policy we saw as a continuation of lenin's kind of important those today who use the term stalinist quote unquote as an epithet evade the real question that is were stalin and the central committee correct I believe history has proven they were correct. And yeah. this is wow, the moment. Wow. <laughs> There's so many air horns. You just taped the air horn button. It's just, it just never, it never really gets old. Um, it, it's, it's good times. And then I actually, in this whole chapter of Trotsky's Game Court, I scrimmed down to basically the end of the chapter. David, do you have anything before like the last paragraph of this chapter? Cause he goes to, he goes on yeah. holiday in Crimea. And this is, we've kind of already hit on this. Where yeah. It's, it's beautiful. And, and he talks about, you know, the, the Crimeans from the Tatars to, I don't know how yeah. to pronounce that. Um, they Tars? have each yeah. uh, ethnic minority has their own theater which their language is spoken in they everybody learns all of the languages that are in that area obviously they learn russian so they can Mm. can communicate with everybody within the soviet union but they also learn all of the other languages that are native to the populations there for uh societies that are uh have a like forgotten language they develop the language of that Mm -hmm. minority into (laughs) a coherent language and then teach that language like incredible the amount of stuff they do just Mm -hmm. read that you know because i even before and so many times now i'll stumble upon anti-soviet like propaganda where they're like oh they fucking made them learn russian and kill their languages and shit like no, no they, they did so yeah. much to sustain they, their they culture wait, 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 wait. there were like dozens of languages that were had did not have an alphabet and right. they, yeah. they developed right. an alphabet thing, yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly record their yeah. history it's crazy yeah. Yeah. share and their stories it, 
it's important to know that too. I mean, this is the kind of thing it's important to know because, like, right now you look at this uh, uh, Xinjiang stuff, and they're like, mm-hmm. "Oh my God, they're right. raising the Muslims because they're teaching them Mandarin right. wow. and stuff." But it's like they <laughs> they have an autonomous region where they speak their language. If they can't, if they can't language, participate in yeah, the political system, then what the fuck is the point? Them right. them right. the yeah. 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 common language, right? They're giving, and them you're them learning things, this. Yeah. You see it how mu- you see how critical it is, how critical political participation is. Because right. again, in America, we can't. What do you mean what, political participation? What you mean that thing that 80 68 percent of us don't do but you can see in the soviet union and any socialist country how fucking important being able to participate right. in the system and have your voice heard is yeah mm-hmm. and so it just it never oh it just never goes <laughs> um this is where oh and, and again you just want to you get into it because it keeps coming up but again the, the concept of racism and how foreign this was so the people this is he's uh he's in a village in the caucasus is Caucasi? Caucasi? I got nothing. I don't know the plural of Caucasus. Um, but they were, uh, it was of a, a African, they were of African descent. Um, so they were both, they were both black. And so this was, they were like, hell, oh, okay. All right. Cool. This was like the first time they had seen anyone out, like an American, uh, uh, black person um so the people in the village wanted to know what was happening to our brothers over the mountains because this is over the you're all mountains and all of that um auto related to them the troubles we had gone through described the travels over the mountains and across the big sea as the evening wore on and the local brandy was consumed toast after toast was drunk to our little brother from over the hills Aww. auto described to them i i know it's just it's so wholesome auto <laughs> described to them the conditions of blacks in the u.s the lynchings racism and brutality incensed if you jumped up and pulled out their daggers. I don't know who they thought they were going to stab at this point. <laughs> I believe that they legitimately thought they were going across the sea and they're like, all right, we're going to go fuck some white people that's up. That's big energy, though. That's my big energy. <laughs> it is big energy. They said, you, they literally jumped up, pulled out their daggers. You should make a revolution. Why don't you revolt? Why do you put up with it? We were not the only ones surprised to learn about this group. It was new to the Russians of Moscow too. Mm-hmm. Several of the tribesmen later visited Moscow as a result. So again, they kind of found this, this, this tribe that was living within mm-hmm. Russia, but kind of off on its own because Russia's huge. Um, but again, just that, that mentality of why. Why would you put up with yeah. this? This, this, their ba- how much bro. of their, basic, <laughs> how much of their basic humanity had been, be, you know, that the the that was unacceptable to, right. to just anyone, yeah. anyone you would present these conditions to would consider them unacceptable, and yet we still don't yeah. really fucking reckon with them today. Right. Yeah. And that gets us to chapter seven and the best title of anything ever in the history of time. And that does, in fact, beat Trotsky's Day in Court because, guys, we're going to the Lenin School. No, yes. I want that. I want that. So bad. I want this anime. I want <laughs> yes, this Lenin School this anime. anime. Yes. This is this is my yes. This is my this is thing. my dream. Just oh, it is everyone's dream. Um, so the Lenin School, the Lenin School, in short, was basically like graduate school for communists. Like this is the high end. All right, you get everyone gets into kudva. You get but, you get your doctorates in revolution, and then you go do some revolution. Exactly. Yeah. No, your your entire your entire like graduation ceremony is you just walk down to the international, and then you get handed a Molotov cocktail, and then you have to go fucking like start some shit. Um. From the ashes of the tr- defeated Trotskyist, Trotskyist left rose an equally dangerous, organized, secret, rightist opposition headed by none other than Lovestone. Oh, all right. So I guess it's important. Guys, um, the, 
the U.S. sucks. Oh, uh, noticed, yeah. Spoiler alert: the U.S. <laughs> is bad. The, he- the head of the Communist Party at the time is a gentleman named Lovestone. Oh, I don't give a no. shit what his first name is because his last name is Lovestone, and if you can't remember that, I can't help you. Um, but he he is a shithead. Yes, and his patron, the guy who is like super super behind him, is a guy by the name of Nikolai Bukharin. And, oh uh, no! Yeah, yeah, it's not great. Um, it's 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 not super good. Yeah, um, and and to get into the, I mean, you know, just just a brief overview for the listeners. There was two big factions in right. the CPUSA mm-hmm. at the time, and oh, I thought you were about to do a brief overview Bukharin. of like Soviet yeah. history. <laughs> I'm like, God, you're yeah. looking at the yeah. round table. Yeah. We don't need that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. There's two big factions, um, and Lovestone headed one of them up. But people talked about constantly two big factions. Like you, you couldn't tell. Like out or um, Haywood goes in over and over. Like. We we didn't really know the difference. We kind of picked the side that seemed right, or mm-hmm. but they were pretty well the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and it was it was very much. But you started to see the the kind of fun craven. Yeah, America. And, there, and there is a version of American exceptionalism, but it's not the good kind. It's we just create the worst fucking political everything anything we touch turns to political garbage yeah. yeah and and some foreshadowing for the rest of america uh lovestone this was big against you know they had the drive to push out the white chauvinism mm. that got harry and otto in you know going into the cp uh usa and then of course off to the kutva and lenin school and everything like that and during that time lovestone kind of gained as his, his faction gained power away from another faction that still existed because you know he brought in like we're going away from white chauvinism we're going to appoint you know know this black person to this position and this black person to this position but you know it, it harry talks about like it wasn't very many and he'll get into where it, it felt very tokenized he was yeah. he was kind of getting his boys in that just happened to be black so people go oh look look they're going away with the white chauvinism but it was really a power consolidation right. yes um so he talks about bukharin and he says on the home on the home front bukharin had his base among the capitalists the landlords and the kulaks uh, in parentheses, upper peasantry. It's like, no, that's just stop. It's not a thing. They're kulaks. You're they're, not a peasant if you have property. You're not a peasant. You're, you're not an upper peasant. You're a kulak. Get the fuck out. <laughs> and pushed a line that would have lopsidedly developed industry along consumer lines to the detriment of the vast masses of the Soviet people. But they're looking out for the consumers, Nathan. Oh, fuck off. Internationally, Bukharin greatly underestimated the war danger and the potential revolutionary situation that developed on a world scale. At the same time, he greatly overestimated the strength and resiliency of imperialism. The Lenin School students helped to legitimize the anti-Lovestone struggle in the U.S. party by linking it with the fight against right deviation. And that's going to come back time and time and time again. And then we get to skip a whole bunch of pages. In September 1917, uh, the good old days, Lenin <laughs> declared Bolshevik support for the land program of the SRs while pointing out that only a proletarian revolution could put even this program into practice. The SR program called for equal distribution of land among the peasants while the Bolsheviks favored collective and eventually state-owned farms. But since the SR program represented the understanding of the majority of the peasants, Lenin's policy was to resolve this difference by teaching the masses and in turn in italics, learning from the masses, the practical expedient measures for bringing about such a transition. Again, just another wildly offhand, hey, they weren't just dictating from on high. And again, this this is the biggest thing that the, the U.S. gets wrong every single time in this is th- this inability to talk to your actual base, to understand who you're actually speaking for right. and who you're, who you're supporting um, and just deciding, I want to do this thing and I'm going to do it. It's weird how 
that critique never appears for Stalin in this entire book. Never seems to be an issue for Stalin to actually listen to what the people want. Uh, there was a November 8th decree. As a democratic government, we cannot ignore the decision of the masses of the people. This is Lenin. Even though we may disagree with it. In fact, in the fire of experience, applying the decree in practice and carrying it out locally, the peasants will themselves realize where the truth lies. We must be guided by experience. We must allow complete freedom to the creative faculties of the masses. Support the people and the people will figure it out. Mm. They are going to get there. Just mm. trust your people. Um, mm. So then we go, there's some back and forth. We go down. That gave me the chance to get off of the international prop, off of my international propaganda spiel. And I jumped right in. Oh no. I replied. This is, this is again, Haywood. I replied. There are 12 million blacks in the U S about one tenth of the population. I went on to tell them about the blacks in the South and the modern day remnants of the plantation system, sharecropping, Jim Crow and lynch terror. Someone remarked, Oh, like it was under the old regime. Many of the villagers nodded their heads in agreement. So this, this statement comes from, he went to a, a small village, I believe in the, in Ukraine. So this is in Ukraine. Um, he's talking about the experience of black people in America and the, uh, the Ukrainian, the, 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 I don't want to say peasants, but the, the townspeople in this Ukrainian town were like, Oh, you mean like what they used to do to the Jews before the Soviets took over? Oh shit. Oh shit. So, you know, all those pogroms and shit like that, that was absolutely a thing. No big deal. Yeah. Um, but since Stalin was an anti-Semite, wouldn't they be well aware of this? I know. It's so weird. It's so strange. They never once brought up that whole thing. Um, Okay. So uh, that that is all I have for the London School, David. Do you have anything else fun in the London School before uh, we hit chapter eight? That, yeah, no, not not particularly on that chapter. Thank God. Okay, self determination. <laughs> the the fight for a correct line, chapter eight. Uh, this is where we really start digging into what again, what is the correct line for the for the national question for blacks in America? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the idea of a black nation within U.S. boundaries seemed far fetched and not. Con- consonant with american reality so again hey would really trying to ground this in practical reality not trying to be an idealist yeah and he goes into like how he really has that garveyism kind of stuck in the back of his head yep i saw the solution through the incorporation of blacks into u.s society on the basis of complete equality and only socialism could bring this to pass there was no doubt in my mind that the path to freedom for us blacks led directly to socialism uncluttered by any interim stage of self-determination or black political power the unity of black and white working against the common enemy u.s capitalism was the motor leading toward the dual goal of black freedom and socialism so that right there is one formulation of the national question in america it turns out that haywood is going to disagree with that position pretty soon Mm -hmm. but that was one but again not a bad position i don't think anyone it it seems reasonable enough it's just there's a better position that emerges exactly and that's what more practical and that's what we get into a lot of this is a lot of these debates are not between like hey should we lynch black people or should they have their own country it's it's different levels of of what is the practical means of of achieving equality for for black people within america Mm -hmm. and for achieving socialism is it do we do it all at one time or is it do we grant autonomy to blacks and then we do it what is the right answer here and this is not something that they just rushed to. They, right. they they struggled with this. Um, 
Like the Jews, I reasoned the position of U.S. blacks was that of an oppressed race, though at the time, I am sure I would have been hard pressed to find precisely what was meant by that phrase. I just love how humble he is about his own <laughs> shortcomings at times. Um, the main factor in the oppression of Jews under the czar had been the religious factor. The main factor in, with U.S. blacks was race. Blacks lacked some of the essential attributes of a nation, which had been defined by Stalin in his classic work, Marxism and the National Question. So uh, another instance of classic Nathan, keep reading the damn book and you'll get the answer to the question you asked 20 minutes ago <laughs> um might as well be an ongoing theme here in the work so then we get to new data the the very grippingly titled book uh new data on the laws governing development of capitalism and agriculture uh which spoke about the united <laughs> states i mean yeah it's a it's a good one uh in this work published in 1915, this is how you can. So this was before Lenin had his good publisher. It must have been because they, that's not that's not a good Lenin title right there. Uh, <laughs> Lenin viewed the question of blacks in the South as one of an uncompleted agrarian and bourgeois democratic revolution. He drew attention to the remarkable similarity and between the economic positions of South South's black tenants and the emancipated serfs in the agrarian centers of Russia, pointing out that both groups were not tenants in the European civilized sense, but semi slaves and sharecroppers. Mm-hmm. So again, trying to tie this. All right. What What's the through line to, you know, in a Marxist sense, how are we going to tie this to what happened here? Well, they're most similar to the the Jewish peasants. This is this is kind of how that how that would play out. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we're going to realize that the United States is kind of a big, giant ball of shit. So we can't really make have anything nice. But that's their that's their reasoning. <laughs> at least. The, uh, so we get into the so the common turn is having so they're getting into they put forward this concept of well should we do self-determination and the common turns a little about that um, their reluctance in this regard I presume was because they did not want to push their position against the unanimous opposition of the American party mm-hmm. including its black members so the concept of giving giving African Americans self-determination was opposed uniformly yeah, so instead yeah. of shoving it down everyone was the minority yeah. at this point by a long shot. Very much. Yeah. And and even that came in later. Like they talked about how they had sent someone from the common turn into the Communist Party to voice for it. And it was pretty soundly rejected. Yeah. Yeah. They slapped that down pretty quick. Yeah. yeah and then again, you know, they I mean, were like class reductionists to, to the like the yeah. nth degree. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, after all, the Comintern was a voluntary union of communist parties which operated under democratic centralism. It was not the policy of the Comintern leadership to arbitrarily force positions on member parties. Just simple statements that refute everything you've been told about how shit right. works are yeah. just so powerful to me. I don't know why. And he's not saying it as a refutation. He's just he's just saying, saying it because it. it was the fact. Yeah, it's just just yeah. setting up the setting for, for you to understand what he's going through. And then this is where, and I'll I'll, I'll, I'll let David take this a little bit because I think he because my problem. Is, is I got into highlighting like entire giant pages at this point um, for this because it was just there was this until I, I realize it now in hindsight that it's not as important but at the time it was his so David his synthesis of the national question because I basically highlighted yeah. the entire page and I don't want to try and okay so that right in now. his synthesis of the national question he sees the black belt which is of course this you know region and I don't think he goes through it but it stretches you know Georgia to Mississippi I think I believe yeah um, which at this point had like 47% of the black population I think it's still like something like 40% or it's it's a dense population mm-hmm. uh, it never really advanced economically and part of it advancing economically was the land was supposed to be given back to black people and they were supposed to be defended there's this period called reconstruction that i think most people know about and most people kind of learned a little <laughs> familiar recently. with everybody everybody takes seventh grade history everyone familiar with reconstruction <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. And uh, so, you know, what Haywood gets into is, you know, when Reconstruction ended, uh, was it Hayes that was what that it, what was the contested presidency where it doesn't matter. Anyway. It, it, oh, I was say it matters so little. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, there's basically, you know, the presidency that, that comes to an end because they say, OK, well, you know, it's too close to, to call, but you can be the president if you drop Reconstruction. Once that happens. Tilden Hayes. Tilden Hayes. Hayes. Tilden Hayes. Yeah. Tilden was yeah, the other was, one. Hayes yeah, was the one Hayes that got the presidency. Yeah. So God anyway, damn it, I shouldn't know that. Uh, anyway, when that happens, that leaves things in this like shocked state where black people not only are are subject to the KKK and these these lynch mobs and Jim Crow laws, but they're not very developed. They don't have the land that the wealth hasn't been redistributed back to them. And so they have to rely on sharecropping. Right. And so with sharecropping, they're stuck remaining poor. They're stuck remaining second class citizens and they're stuck in their own survival methods and their own economic systems and their own cultures, essentially living within the United States, but totally isolated. So they niche all these checks on the national question and they are absolutely an oppressed group. And so the idea of the national question is. They fit the definition of a nation. They should have the self-determination of this nation and be able to decide, you know, how the economic policy applies to them so they can develop their economics and develop into socialism. And that way you can do the dual battle of liberation of black Americans and socialism. And you're not going to have one really effectively without the other. Mm-hmm. And that gets us to chapter nine. <laughs> uh, the sixth Congress of the Comintern, a blow against the right. All right, not we had we had too many good chapters in a row. We had <laughs> one it's fairly title. boring. Yeah. It's mostly yeah. factional. I mean, it's not. It's interesting because it talks about the. It's really a decisive struggle in the Communist Party, but it's not. Yeah. Engaging in as far as it matters to most folks. If I if I wanted <laughs> yeah. to give if I wanted to give his wife the benefit of the doubt, I'm going to say she cut this chapter. <laughs> my guess is that she cut all the Soviet Union shit. Is my guess. Oh, I hope not. You better not have. She was not a. Tr- I don't think. I don't think Harry Haywood married a trot. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say that because that's that's so important. But if she's trying to sell yeah. books, what's she going to cut? Oh, oh God! Don't don't remind me that Haymarket exists as an organization. <laughs> um, We're trying no, to forget but so, too. <laughs> but no, it's uh, I I agree, and I, I chapter nine I have I have highlights, but it's so it's interparty wow. factionalism. It's not important to understand the Everstone because then, and it's it's it should be denoted by the fact that chapter ten has the better title, Lovestone Unmasked. Yeah. The only thing I'll say, oh, chapter. Boy. Chapter nine, or maybe it was the end of chapter eight that we skipped over that, that I'm kind of lament is South Africa had the, the white South Africans. Not yet. Oh, oh, not, not yet. yet? Okay, oh, okay. Get, sit down, boy. Uh, <laughs> you don't think I'm going to skip the white South Africans whining about white genocide, do you? No, no, okay. no, 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 no. Wouldn't, wouldn't miss that for the world. Um, no, that's, that's the good shit. Um, so we, we, we head in. Lovestone Unmasked. Um, again, we're talking about factionalism in the USSR. We're talking about, or not fact in the USSR. No, there was no factionalism in the USSR. It was perfect. Um, no, the factionalism in the CPUSA. So the Lovestone... It turned out he wasn't actually giving his people all the information like he was maintaining these wild majorities while not actually giving everyone all the information that was coming back from the common turn or saying what their actual line was. So all of a sudden you see some stuff starting to pop off. 
Um, and you get down into in the Soviet Union, the right line of Bukharin and his friends had encouraged resistance on the part of the kulaks and capitalist elements to the five year plan, industrialization and collectivization. They resisted the state monopoly on foreign trade. This was reflected in mass sabotage, terrorism against collective farmers, party workers and government officials in the countryside burning down collective farms and state granaries. In the same year, in 1928, a widespread conspiracy of wreckers was exposed in the Shakti district of the Dantes Coal Basin. The conspirators and had close connections with former mine owners and foreign capitalists. Their aim was to disrupt socialist development. As a result, the counteroffensive could no longer be postponed, and CPUSA was obliged to take a sharp turn against the menacing right and its leaders. I read that whole thing to go... I just love it when shit that you guys brought up during the Stalin episode comes mm-hmm. back in, mm-hmm. in other works. It's just so good. <laughs> but again, another on the ground, just a guy like, yeah, no, they were absolutely self-sabotaging. Like they were absolutely the Kulaks and the, the, the right were, were trying to fuck this up. They were trying to create bad conditions, famine conditions, all of that kind of shit. Yeah. And he even kind of said, you know, the communist party only even comes after them because they have to. Yeah. They won't stop. You no. know, they, they weren't, they weren't, they didn't murder them. They're just like, at a certain point, it's like, you can't keep burning our infrastructure down, please. I would prefer you not do that. That would be great. Yeah. At, at one point they had to go mow on landlords. So every once in a while, it's not. <laughs> and then you get the subtitle curtains for love stone which is just such a great i mean come on it's curtains for love stone so again we realize that this is all coming they were trying to liquidate factual so this is where we're getting into um they're they're getting to a, a head. This the the common turn is realizing that there is some bad bad factionalism going on in the U.S. But with regards to the minority, it criticized Bittleman's apex theory and stated that sharpening of the general crisis of capitalism is to be expected, not because American imperialism ceases to develop, but on the contrary, it is expected because American imperialism is developing and surpasses other capitalist countries in its development, which leads to an extreme accentuation of all other antagonisms. The apex theory is the view that U.S. imperialism had reached its peak of development. And would soon be brought to its knees by the weight of its own internal contradictions. We know for a fact that wasn't happening. Still, still, waiting, still waiting on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, still waiting for that. This is a lot of sit back and wait. Um, the four. So the the minority members. There were four conditions that need to be met: a correct perspective in the analysis of the general crisis of capitalism and American imperialism, which is part of it. Two. To place in the center of the work of the party the daily needs for the American working class. Seems pretty self-explanatory for a communist organization. Three, freeing the party from its immigrant narrowness and seclusion and making the American workers its wide basis, paying due attention to work among Negroes. And four, liquidation of factualism and drawing workers into the leadership. Clearly, this letter put an end to any basis for Lovestone's claim of CI support. So basically, the Comintern came down and wrote a letter that they published out and said, hey, uh, dude, get your shit together uh, and here are all the things you need to do. And the people finally read that back home and were like, uh, what is he doing? What the fuck? No, no, don't appreciate <laughs> that. Please don't do that. So this is where we get page 296. Uh, we're about halfway through. Oh, this is Stalin talking. Oh, this is <laughs> Stalin talking, baby. Get ready. Get ready. Get set. I had met Stalin before, but I doubt that the great man had remembered me from our first <laughs> meeting. I uh, was now to hear him speak for the first time. Garbed in the customary tan tunic and polished black boots, he stepped to the rostrum, informally leaning on the stand with a pipe in one hand. He began to speak in calm, measured, scarcely audible voice. Stalin emphasized two Shy main boy points. Stalin. <laughs> ASMR Stalin, please. Yeah. Somebody, somebody, somebody give me ASMR yeah. Stalin. I need it. 
<laughs> oh my god, I found that's I'm not gonna do Patreon, but I will absolutely do a private ASMR Stalin stream. Yes. That is how I will make all of it. Uh both groups are guilty of the fundamental error of exaggerating the specific features of American capitalism. You know that this exaggeration lies at the root of every opportunist error committed by both the majority and minority groups. Stalin followed this with a rhetorical question. What are the main defects in the practice of the leaders of the majority and the minority? Firstly, that in their day-to-day work, they, and particularly the leaders of the majority, are guided by motives of unprincipled factionalism and place the interests of their faction higher than the interests of the party. Secondly, that both groups, and particularly the majority, are so infected with the disease of factionalism that they base their relations with the common turn not on the principle of confidence, but on a policy of rotten diplomacy, a policy of diplomatic intrigue. As an example, he cited the way in which both factions speculated on the existing and non-existing differences within the CPUSA, adding that they are competing with each other and chasing after each other like horses in a race. <laughs> and then Stalin steps back and just does what he does. Woo! We're just gonna <laughs> yeah. we're gonna fall back into the into the into the back and let people decide for themselves. Sounds authoritarian. <laughs> uh, it does sound it sounds quite authoritarian. Yeah. On May twelfth. Also welcome the- to the podcast, Ethan. Yeah. Hey, hey, what's going on? Hey, I was I was trying to see. I was trying to get away with like just sneaking in here. Sneaking in. Oh, don't don't worry about it. You're 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 here for halfway through the podcast. That's yeah. <laughs> on May twelfth, the last meeting of the full commission was called in the session. Kusenin, as chairman, reported the findings and decisions of the subcommittee. Their report was in the form of a draft address. So again. They had a subcommittee on a committee to form a response to the American <laughs> thing. You can talk about, oh, bureaucracy, boil them down. Bureaucracy, don't yeah. ever, don't ever say that they weren't fucking democratic and that yes, they weren't yeah. fucking yeah. trying. Yes. They were soliciting opinion. They were getting the right line and they were taking their damn time doing it. Um, addressed over the heads of the party leadership, it singled out the Lovestone faction for its sharpest attack. In this respect, it went much beyond previous criticisms, such as those in the open letter to the Sixth Convention. It now said that exceptionalism was the ideological lever of the right errors in the American Communist Party, nice. adding that exceptionalism found its clearest exponents in the persons of comrades Pepper and Lovestone. I just love that Lovestone and Pepper are the two guys <laughs> leading this party. Like that, that's a fun dance team, if I've ever heard of this. Um, whose conception was as follows. There is a crisis of capitalism, but not of American capitalism. A swing in the masses leftward, but not in America. There is the necessity of accentuating the struggle against reformism, but not in the United States. There is a necessity for struggling against the right danger, but not in the American Communist Party. Um, they just, they, they genuinely thought that, oh, no, 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 nothing applies to us. We are oh, super they're safe. Yeah, they're safe. Yeah. Yeah, no, nothing. And again, this is in, where are we at? 1920, late 20s, right now, David? Am yeah, I, this, am this is 1927, no, I think, or 27. Yeah. Okay. 27, 28. Um, they were at this time spouting how strong American capitalism was and that you couldn't dare take on American capitalism because the economic foundation of America was so strong that it would just never break, never going to oh. fall, yeah. never, <laughs> nothing coming in the next year or so that's going to cause some moments. Uh, uh, and then we get to Lovestone's moment of truth. And this is the last time that I will uh, read a whole lot, but this is two pages of but it's Stalin. nothing of, of we will vintage. read two pages of Stalin <laughs> this is Stalin here we go yes during this part of the discussion Stalin took the floor for the second time in his usual calm deliberate ASMR like manner he delivered a scathing <laughs> blast at the majority leaders Lovestone Gitlow and Bed- Bedoct yeah, we'll go with sure. that. Sounds like he was a revisionist. Who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. He characterized the May 9th declaration as 
super factional and anti-party. The May 14th declaration was still more factional and anti-party than that of May 9th. Basically, what had led to this was the Lovestone. They had basically said, hey, Lovestone, you and your whole group have to come home. You have to come back. And by home, I mean USSR, because that is the motherland for everyone. Um, You have to come (laughs) back. You're not going to be allowed to lead CPUSA because you're factionalist assholes. Uh, You're going to work for the common turn. You're going to work for the Communist International. And if you prove that you can uh, that you can do what we ask and that you're actually doing this in the name of of world communism, uh, then we will see about letting you back out into the world and do your thing. But this is your basically your punishment. This is what we are dictating to you. And it's like we've said a couple times now, when the Communist International comes out with a line, that's the line. Hell yeah. Period. There is no more arguing about it because there was arguing. There was infinite arguing to get to that point. Yeah. You stop at that point. <laughs> and Lovestone and them were like, yeah, but nah, nah, we're not going to do that because then the party would collapse without us. We're super important. You see, look at us. We're really, we're really great. Um, you can't have the party without us. Um, he called the new delegation, the new declaration, a deceitful maneuver drawn up craftily by some sly attorney, by some petty fogging lawyer. I don't know what petty fogging is, but I am here for it. And I'm going to start using it as an insult all the time. That's great. <laughs> on the one hand, the declaration of vows complete, and this is Stalin. On the one hand, the declaration of vows complete loyalty to the common turn the unshakable fidelity of the authors of the declaration to the communist international on the other hand the declaration states that its authors cannot presume responsibility for carrying out the decision of the presidium of the executive committee if you please on the one hand complete loyalty on the other hand a refusal to carry out the decision of the common turn and that is called loyalty to the common turn what sort of loyalty is that it's american loyalty guys uh what is the reason for this duplicity this hypocrisy is it not obvious that this weighty talk of loyalty and fidelity to the common turn is necessary to comrade lovestone in order to deceive the membership it cannot Uber. be denied that our american comrades like all communists have the right to disagree with the draft of the decision of the commission and have the right to oppose it. But we must put the question squarely to the members of the American delegation. When the draft assumes the force of an obligatory obligatory decision of the common turn, do they consider themselves entitled not to submit to that decision? Are you above the law, essentially, is what they're asking. Like, mm-hmm. why? Oh, like, are you better than the common turn? Stalin then dwelt at length on the evils of factionalism and his barbs hit us in the minority as well as the majority. He held up the American party as an example of the havoc factionalism can wreck. He stated that fa- so for everyone that says like Washington's speech on how parties were bad is a bit. No, fuck you. Stalin did it better. <laughs> Which literally could just be a, just I'll put that on a shirt. I'll, I'll put that on a shirt and I'm buying it because he did Stalin everything. Did Mustaches, hats, all things. He just not, did all things better. Smoking. He was he definitely did better at not owning slaves. Ooh, Liquidating kulaks? I don't know Washington liquidating any kulaks. That did not happen. Stalin did it better. He he stated that factionalism weakens communism, weakens the communist offensive against reformism, undermines the struggle of communism against social democracy, weakens the party spirit. It dulls the revolutionary sense, interferes with the training of the party in the spirit of a policy of principles, undermining its iron discipline, completely nullifies all positive work done in the party. He warned the majority against playing Trumps with percentages and denied the claim of majority support in the U.S. party. You had a majority because the American Communist Party until now regarded you as the determined supporters of the international. But what will happen if the American workers learn that you intend to break the unity of the ranks of the common turn? You will find yourselves completely isolated. You may be certain of that. That is Stalin going, 
fuck with me. Fuck with me and see what happens. <laughs> fuck around and find out. Yeah. Fuck around and find out. Hand, what, see my hand? It's where my hit be at. We will fight. Uh, Stalin's speech really struck home. This is Haywood. Stalin's speech really struck home to me. Actually, that's me too. It's just, it, that, that works for everything. Yeah. Uh, I had been a member of a faction for the whole five years I'd been in the party. I had been recruited simultaneously into the party and into a faction. Thus, when Lovestone took over, I had shifted from the Rothenberg faction to the Foster faction. But after the past month of discussion, there was no getting around the fact that factionalism had harmed the party's work. It was clear the party could not make the turn to the left and in particular develop the black movement without the elimination of factionalism. And that is, I I think, the biggest thing that comes from this whole book is just the big, you cannot... And I don't want to say it's not big tent or anything like that, but it's no. If you spend your entire time fighting other communists, right. um, the capitalists are not going to do that. They'll yeah. just kill you. They'll they'll fight. They'll subvert. And and surprisingly enough, as we'll find out later in this book, as we go, they'll just fucking put spies in your midst the whole time. They'll just keep mm-hmm. putting agents in there. agents provocateur in there to fuck with your stuff more. Um, and, and Haywood talks about that. You know, Cointel Pro, all of this stuff, even before then, they were they were putting you know, major faction leaders that were trying to antagonize um um in the in the Communist Party were were FBI agents. Like right. it's it's fucking bullshit. David, you look like you had a you look like you had a thing to say. being the case yeah. in the CPUSA. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So th- and then we get to this thing, and this is where this is where uh, the Americans should be fucked without would just just completely piss on all their graves. Breaking this, <laughs> so they, they're leaving the party. It's three a.m. They're leaving this meeting at three a.m. Um, and someone said, wow. "Hey, hey, did you see what happened between Stalin and Welsh, who was a member of the Lo- he was Welsh was the guy that <laughs> Lovestone was trying to put in charge after he left, um, like his chosen crony. Yeah, his little puppet, his boy. little puppet boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, "No, I said what happened. It seemed on the way out, Stalin passed Welsh, who was standing in the aisle talking to Lovestone." Stalin, in a friendly gesture, because he can only make friendly gestures because he's amazing, uh, (laughs) extended his hand to Welsh as if to say, we have our disagreements, but we're still comrades. Love him. Thank you. He just, you heard everything he just said. He was vicious. He brought it down. But at the end of the day... He still believed they were comrades. Yeah, I mean, this is all for discipline and advancing the the cause, but we're yeah. on the same side. Stalin is being a stern daddy, but a daddy nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> Welsh rudely rejected the proffered hand and in a loud voice said to Lovestone, what the hell does that fellow want? Wow. Ooh. Imagine saying fuck? that to wow. Joseph Stalin. Yeah. Get the fuck out. Oops. Guys, and then if Stalin, Stalin immediately had, threw him into a gulag. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, killed him I was about to say, if Stalin, if, if Stalin made people disappear and that man was not immediately, di- I, th- this is proof positive that Stalin didn't just make people <laughs> disappear. Just yeah. hands up. Disappear if he treated me like that. So that's what I'm saying. Like that's the kind of attitude that'll get you kicked out of an Arby's. Like Joseph Stalin coming at you. Like, are you kidding me, sir? This is an Arby's. <laughs> His attachment to Lovestone seemed to transcend any communist or political principles. I wasn't too surprised at the incident, but uh, remembering the earlier one with Minowski, but I was gl- I was glad I hadn't seen it, and I believe that because that's one of those things where Haywood you learn yeah. has a bit of a, a bit of a temper sometimes. And I formerly believe he'd have just like died. Like fuck you, <laughs> which which he should have. In fairness, he oh, should yeah. have. Yeah, um, but Welsh would have had some broken noses. Like it would have split in two and broke yeah, twice. But it's very. It's just this is very highlighting of again. There are people that are doing this because they are. 
communists and they believe in what they're doing. And there are fucking cynical opportunists. And yeah, well, you know, you were talking about earlier how like he he has a habit of being like, you know, and this person, blah, 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 blah. And then they died or they got killed or they, you know, whatever. Um, One of the other things that happens is a lot of these folks that had these kind of quote unquote disagreements, he'll be like, um, you know, and five years later, they're selling out people to the house on American activities committee. Like yes. the, the same people that did all this like shit talk, bullshit, whatever. They almost always either in, came out as Trotskyists mm-hmm. or they came out and sold people out and, or came out and sold people out to the house on American activities committee. No. And they weren't. And, and I mean, they came out as Trotskyists, but it almost always came to the house on American how, because it was all they cared about was power. And that's what he shows time and time again is anytime there's these right deviations, especially the left deviations, sometimes less so the the idealistic deviations. Sometimes those are in a lot of instances that he's foolish. I think they're just misguided. I think they're genuinely they're they're, Again, it's Trotsky. He's silly. He's not he's not (laughs) harmful. He's just he's just silly. And he's get away. You say Trotsky is not harmful. Justin's about okay. to cancel. Move on. <laughs> but he doesn't have any actual power. Like he's harmful in a way that, like, in like a theoretical way. But all you just one strong ice axe to the back of the head, and we're done. True, we don't have to deal true. with him anymore. It's right. so easy. It's Full such a soft, squishy skull. Serious boy. moment for a second, though. Is uh-huh. he though? If people still think that Stalin was a dictator. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he has more of an impact now than he did then, yeah. which is kind exactly. of the reality, right? But I think that's exactly. also more of an impact of the the U.S. True. fun U.S. Yeah, propaganda yeah, propping yeah. up propping up the person with no again propping up the person with no power versus the person right. who had power and power given to him Cause, by cause the people. Because it means that you never have to defend anything. You never have to actually yeah, ex- try and lead a revolution right. because you know what exactly. you're not there yet. Exactly. And again, so that again, danger, definitely. Yeah. Feel. Yeah. I'll, I'll self credit <laughs> like a motherfucker there. Definitely. The left is dangerous. The right is dangerous in a far more cynical way. Yeah, I guess. More immediate way. Yeah. yeah the revisionists and are. I'll still say Trotsky was probably self-serving. But... Oh, oh, are you kidding me? Of course it was. Self- everything was self-serving. You don't, I mean, come on now. Um, but the right, they didn't care who they were serving. The right would go the, again. They would go House on American Committee, the Communist Party. Who who can I grift right now? What is the easiest way for me to to not have to mm-hmm. you know do something original or on my own or or, or actually help anybody? Uh, and that's just time and time again. Um, and then that takes care of Lovestone, and that takes care of some factionalism for a while. And they actually do get down to work. They talk about how you know once we got factionalism out of the party, it, it was just it was it was we were able to. That's when we coalesced, and they were able to to really get going. But then you get into um, what they what, what we call the purges, or they call the clen- the party cleansing, the cleansing, yeah. which is very interesting. <laughs> Mm, a very interesting change of words and especially when you talk about now again you see some of the problems that because this is where we get and i don't i'm not getting into the i don't want to get into the page six or or tmz stuff in this book because i just don't think it's (laughs) i i just i don't think it's useful um not to not to say not you know again if haywood's spouse cut out the part where there was a weird cartoon of him trying to hit up with weird oh out in yalta there yeah out in yalta girls like fine get get that out of there i think that part still talked about like uh, you know the 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 multinationalism and stuff. It, it did, but, too, but so again, when they get to the when you get to the cleansings, when you get to the the party cleansing stuff, they're they're talking about there is some danger of 
kind of in the same way you had McCarthyism, people ratting each other. Oh, well, I'm going to take my little petty bullshit that I've got against this person and rat him out as a communist to get him kicked out. You have the exact opposite kind of going on in the Soviet Union where, okay, I do, I, I'm still a bad person and I have this petty bullshit. I'm going to rat them out as not a communist. <laughs> um, and so it was a weird dichotomy. Um, but thankfully, but Hay- Haywood says, even with all of that going on, no one from the, they all, so the, the, the process they describe is really interesting to me. Basically, you would have, you'd have an old, hardened, member of the party you'd have a a hardline dedicated communist come in member of the party and you would go up and on the lectern hand them your party card and then you'd have to give them like your life story your autobiography everything about you why am i here why am i a member of the party what did i do before what do i intend to do to keep helping the party what do i think i can you know what are my strengths all of that stuff and at the end of it if you could defend if that was if that met muster if that was satisfactory they gave you your party card back and you moved on and for for reference nobody in his school ever got per, like the whole school passed as nice. a, for for whatever it was and he said it was stressful <laughs> and i get that like there there's there's a line somewhere later in here uh we'll get to it but you know no one wanted to be kicked out of the party like it was it would have been amazingly like can you imagine being a communist and being told you're not allowed to be a communist anymore like i can't imagine that well, I mean, I can't imagine getting to a communist party because I'm <laughs> broken inside. But <laughs> and then having that, and then having that glory in his taken away from me, like f- no, oh my god, like I'm gonna commit sepulchre on the spot. Um, <laughs> He's done goofed. Yikes! Yeah, Yikes. I, done goofed if you get kicked out. Yeah. Um, I do also enjoy, and this is for this is specifically um, because I know he'll listen at some point for Rob from Dumb and Awful. Um, just just as a point out, um, the only people he uh, that Haywood remembers getting caught up in the in the cleanses were, as I remember, a police agent was flushed out in the Polish group. So just let it be known, the Poles have always been reactionary. Um, <laughs> I stand out. by that. Se- which I stand by that. Sentiment. Which one's worse, Poland or Ukraine? Oof. Ooh. Ooh, C-O. Just Finland. Can I? Yeah. Yeah, all right. But so, uh, again, last year in the Soviet Union, you get into, again, we're talking more about the national question. There's deviation against the national question. You have groups popping up saying that they think it's a race, that, that they think it's a race issue and not a, a national determination issue. And they want to go back on that. Sick is the guy. I don't know if it's, it's not spelled seek in the same way. So I don't, I don't want to pronounce it that way, but it's S-I- S I K, um, sick. I think he was, he was leading this struggle. Um, it was, it, yeah. And, and he talks about how this is his former professor where under it, they had open debates in class and he kind of came more to this national question, uh, like stance that he has. And then this is the person leading the struggle against it. Yeah. And so you, again, back and forth on the national question, which is a lot of this book. And I think we've, we've hit that a little bit ad nauseum, so I don't want to keep just hammering on it. Um, but we know what the, we know what the options are. Basically, in the Soviet Union, he had formulated what the options were. Um, he got married again. Um, yeah, uh, we stopped that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't. Uh, <laughs> chapter 12, Return Home, White Chauvinism Under Fire. Uh, there, it starts with a poem, a poem by Langston Hughes. Oh, that I think yes, is amazing. yes, I oh, love yeah. Hank Langston, yeah. Put, Put more, put one more S in the USA to make it Soviets. Put oh, one more, yeah. one more yes. S in the USA. Oh, we'll live to see it yet. Man, they, yeah. at his, That'll be the outro. Is... At his house on American Activities trial, they brought that poem up and he was Fuck just yes. like, oh, <laughs> oops, <I'm> sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Langston, and they talk about that too. Langston, he's the, he went over there, they went over there to film a movie um, that they were going to try and make a movie about black, the black struggle and they were going to do it in the Soviet Union. And Langston Hughes basically went to him and said, 
guys, this script is fucking garbage. You can't make this movie. Please don't do this. And uh, then they just paid them all to hang out and like chill in the Soviet Union for a Fair while. Enough. And like some of them ended up staying. Um, but uh, they didn't make the movie because apparently it was going to be garbage, according to Langston Hughes, who I trust. <laughs> um, but we get back to America. Yeah, there and- are some voices I trust in this in this book. There's there's Harry Haywood. There's Big Bill Haywood. There's Langston Hughes. There's Paul Robeson. There's there's Du Bois at the end. Yeah. Mm. Du Bois? Du Bois. Du Bois. Shut up. Ew. <laughs> Wait, who? W.E.B. Du Bois? Oh, I think yeah. he pronounced it Du Bois. Du Bois. Mm, yeah. yeah. He was like, fuck that's the right. It sounds like the wrong pronunciation, but no, I think it's the it right pronunciation. Yeah. He was yeah. like, fuck yeah. the French. He was like, fuck the French. Yeah. 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 Okay, okay. Not Du Bois. I'm fucked. And du Bois. As, y'all, oh. as y'all are going through. Oh, no, Russia of the Earth. Yeah, Russia of the Earth, oh. yeah. As, oh. as y'all are going through <laughs> Russia of the Earth, you also fuck the French, so. France fans. So this is the one yes, time you can even say Ro- Royava, which is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but Du Bois, okay. All right. Du Bois, yeah. um, so we get back to America, um, <laughs> and, uh, and turns out the 30s happened, and guys, the, that that strong base of U.S. capitalism, not great, uh, uh, kind of kind of had, didn't, wasn't as strong as anything else. The, <laughs> a little uh, bit of a whoopsie, <laughs> a little bit of a um, The biggest thing out of this chapter, the the one thing, and again, this was one of the times where I was. <laughs> just goose bumpy um they uh Jokinen, uh the trial of Jokinen. so there was uh they were he was on the party payroll he was getting paid to be a, a member of the communist party and, god, and organized job. and they went to this uh one of the first i know oh god just the dream put my cv um, on there it's almost like you need to be able to pay people to do this on a professional level if they're going to be able to effectively organize but you know no big deal um i had always felt building a revolutionary movement, which meant building unity among blacks and forging alliances with white workers was more difficult here in New York than an industrial center such as Chicago. But the crisis of the depression had been sort of a catalyst. Unemployed councils were built, uniting blacks and whites. Even in New York, there were marches on city hall and movements against evictions and police brutality. So Jokinen basically, he ran a, he ran a club that they were all trying to work at, uh, or that they were all trying to organize at, and he would not let in the, he would not let in black members into the club. Uh, he ran, it was also a pool hall and a bathhouse and his exact rationale when they kicked the uh, black comrades out was, I don't want to be in a bath that black people have used. Wow. And this is a member of the Communist Party saying this. And we have a minor problem there because that kind of shouldn't be a thing. Again, we talked about at the very beginning, being a member of the party doesn't make you not racist. (laughs) Cleanse. Yeah. (laughs) Cleanse. So so again, you want, no, but you want to talk about cleanse, you want to talk about purge. (laughs) How did we, so how did we deal with this situation? Did we drown in that bath? We all got we all got in a room and then we put him up we against the wall and murdered him and we moved on. <laughs> um, no. <Free> education camp. <laughs> no. Uh, he, he, they had a trial. They put together a trial and they had two African American men, uh, as the prosecutor and the defense. Um, and they had a 14 member jury, seven black, seven white. Nice. Um, Again, this is in 1930. Um, okay. So there, there, this is all inside the party. This is not, this is, this is not part of the justice system or, or this is just the communist party. Um, and they lined up the, the arguments for expelling him were pretty obvious. He's a white chauvinist. He's, there's, he's deviating from the law. He is, he is absolutely, um, not a true comrade. If he can't see past the color of a person's skin, mm-hmm. we need to eject him from the party. It's the only way he will learn. We can't have these elements corrupting the rest of the party. Oh, yeah. The defense from the communist lawyer that was defending him was no, this, this man's been put in a position by capitalism where he fears that his livelihood will be lost if he allows blacks into his club because then his white patrons will not come this is a this is this is capitalism 
forcing a person into a mindset that they shouldn't have to live with and that we are trying to eradicate. Don't kick him from the party. Let him learn. Let him be a beacon in the party to show what he he admits why he's wrong. He admits that he's done wrong. Let him let him prove that. Don't kick him out, please. Ooh. Because I, I think I think the argument is he would rather be dead. I think I, I think there was some point where he's like, I would rather be, you know, dead or lynched or something like that uh, than be expelled from the party. Yeah, we must win him back. Expulsion from the Communist Party is worse than death at the hands of the bourgeoisie. That's how that's how core to people's lives being a member of the party was at the time. Damn. Um, and oh, yeah, though. they him though. they they found him guilty. They found him guilty. Oh, and, um, yeah. and, they, and they kicked him out. Of the, they, they 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 kicked him out of the party. So, but here's what they did: he should forthwith be expelled from the party, but might be admitted after he ex expiated his crime and proved his worthiness by the performance of a number of tasks. They were as follows. Go immediately to the hall, call a mass meeting, give a report of the trial, couch it in terms as to destroy white chauvinist tendencies in his club. To Good. black work, uh, to carry on in the club a persistent struggle for black workers and granting them admission and full privileges, including use of the pool room, bathhouse, and restaurant. Join the LSNR and sell an adequate number of copies of the Liberator. Uh, newspaper. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, that seems like a weird one, but I'm okay with it. For, Lead a demonstration against a certain Harlem restaurant which barred blacks. I don't know why we couldn't name it, but fine. Yeah, uh, call it out. Call it out. I was about to say, put we'll start moving in 2019. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah, hey, I don't know, like 80 years ago, you guys were. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give a one star Yelp review right now. Come here and ask for their manager. I don't give a shit. Nathan's uh, a true revolutionary. <laughs> yeah. To take a leading part in all of the movements and activities aimed at doing away with discrimination of any sort against the blacks after it had been explained to Jokinen and finished he solemnly nodded his head and said I will do it I did wrong in the club the trial ended with the audience singing the international clenched yes. fists held high beautiful how I end so. every day that's how, <laughs> that's how to the end of a trial they found a man guilty and everyone got together yes. held hands and sang the oh international I'm crying. I'm crying I dream about that every day <laughs> So I'm so I just I want it so bad. I want it so bad too. Um, so here and then and then surprisingly he did all those things. He nice. became one of the staunchest wow. uh, defenders of civil rights in the party. He, he, yeah. yeah, he fought against the Scott. He he participated in all the Scottsboro charges. He did everything that they asked of him. Got readmitted back into the party. And the second, the day after they readmitted him to the party, uh, the U.S. revoked his citizenship and sent oh. him back to Finland because oh. he had never applied for full citizenship. Damn. Uh, Oop. They should have oh. had that in the, the list of things to do. <laughs> yes. Yep. Citizen. Yeah, finish up your citizenship. <laughs> and of course, uh, the party Oof. members went to defend him. They, his, yeah, they yeah. did everything they could. They uh -huh, did everything yeah. they tried could to yeah. keep him in the United States, and they, they again, they fell short because you can't fight City Hall when it's the FBI. Let's call, uh, <laughs> it's called uh, character development. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was, it's, it's. Oh. So then we, again, this highlights, I think everybody knows, again, the Scottsboro Boys trial was happening at this time, mm. and this became a huge rallying cry for CPUSA. Surprisingly, not a huge rallying cry for another organization that's theoretically about the rights of African Americans <laughs> in the United States. Uh, the NAACP uh, refused to, like, defend the Scottsboro Boys at all. They would not even enter into the case. They would not try and do the defense, because their argument was, we defend good black people, we don't defend Ooh. Rapists and murderers, yeah. which is kind 
of a weird right, thing Hillary to say. At the, oh, it's kind fuck. of a weird thing to say at the beginning of a trial before guilt or innocence has been decided. <laughs> yeah. But cool, NAACP. Good, well, and, and, good look. I mean, and when we were doing our episode on Paul Robeson, it was the same. The same kind right. of thing came yeah. up with um, the NAACP is that it was always. It seems like their whole thing has back. Yeah. Especially back in that time, was like trying to seek approval from right, white 100%. America. Mm. Yeah. It was exactly that. And they wanted they wanted the assimilationist, right. middle 100%. class, the upstanding. Black, they wanted they wanted the appearances. They wanted the you know what callback. They were hazel. They were all hazel. <laughs> was a hazel. hazel? And, and we, hazel we've already, <laughs> already canceled. We have already canceled hazel's ass. So NAACP, you're canceled, canceled too. Canceled. Yeah. Canceled. Um, and that jumps us forward. So again, the Scottsboro Boys became kind of a, and this is uh, my only analysis. I'm going out on a limb here, and I may be wrong. And if I am, shut me down. Um, but it felt as I read it because it became. It starts in this chapter and then it keeps going through every other chapter, um, the rest of the book, for the most part. Uh, the Scottsboro Boys was one incident, but it was an inciting incident that started a very large movement across the country in places that were completely unrelated to that, that had no issues with that. It sparked kind of this awareness of the systemic racism that existed in the United States. Um, and, and it became a, a, a place where if you had a movement, a Scottsboro boys movement in town, the CPUSA knew it was safe to try and go organize there, that this was probably a place we could start organizing. And it feels very much like proto in the same vein as, as, as Black Lives Matter yeah, and that, that sort it. of movement. Yeah. It, it very much mirrors that in the sense of it was, it grew from one isolated incident. And obviously Black Lives Matter had, there, there were, I mean, there, there are, there are issues of, of black people being killed by the police every day. And we saw all of them right. come out. Same thing was happening then though. You had a black, when we get to Memphis a couple chapters from now, there, there, the, the front page is talking about a black man that was murdered in this just cold blood murdered in the streets. And the response of the committed communists in that town were, yeah, it's, that's Tuesday, man. Like that just happens. Um, so this the, very similar in the fact that they sparked, they, they were a rallying cry that sparked a much broader movement. Um, but yeah, that's that's why Scottsboro is really important here because it kind of sets the table for it. it was the first area where the CPUSA really led the charge on black rights in America. They were not tailing behind. They were they were at the forefront of everything during this time. And this is the most effective time for the CPUSA when it came to, I, I mean, Af- African-American rights, especially and just, I think, organizing in general. Uh, and that takes us to class warfare in the mines. And guys, if there's one thing I love is some class warfare underground. <laughs> um, underground class, class warfare is the best kind of class warfare. Put put that on a postcard. <laughs> so anyway, um, in the miners' union, they're they're talking about this is in uh, um, like you know eastern Pennsylvania and all these kind of areas, and they're talking about the National Miners' Union and. Um, some of this stuff here. So like, let's get into the highlights where in many local black or in many locals, blacks worked with recent European immigrants and some places, the latter were even the majority, but blacks were elected to union positions, president, vice president, or secretary because they were the only ones who could speak English and price sale. However, blacks had come into the mines later. Most of them brought in as strike breakers as late as 1927. Now this is something that's, that's going to come back up and it's from earlier in the book and we didn't really touch into it, but something that, that brought, a lot of this organization in and was a little reluctant to to go against the white chauvinism and a big part of this white chauvinism problem the CPUSA had was 
a lot of these strong unions, right? And being pro-union is good, yes. but they they were very racist, especially mm-hmm. the AFL. Yes. And this so they would why, shut out like, black people. Supporting unionism is not socialism. That's not it's not yeah. it's more complicated than that. But well, like yeah. but the, of course it is. But that's my point, is like people a lot of people like with the co-op thing from oh, sure. Richard well, Richard well, absolutely, absolutely. It's like it's like, oh, if you support unions, that must be great. Well, right. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it's not an end in and of sure, itself. Right. Of it's a tool. Of course. Yeah. But there's a lot so, of reactionary asking. Oh, absolutely. Oh, sure, yeah. sure. And and you got to be careful how to bust it, too. I mean, we talked about, you know, what came out of that was Garveyism, which was very bourgeoisie. Right. Or in a, in a modern thing. The AFL-CIO right? is absolutely Brr. reactionary union. Yeah. So they've been, yeah. yeah. And they're yeah, the largest union on in the United States. So, yeah. 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 So kind yeah. of by definition, right. a little bit hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, and you've got to you, you've got to balance that, too. You know, a, a modern example is like teachers unions. Right. So teachers yeah. unions mm-hmm. uh, have certain regulations they have to for for That's educational awesome. standards. Yeah. Well, we know, you know, largely black people are poor. They can't mm-hmm. buy their way into unions. And so there was a small like uh, group of of black people teacher or black wannabe teachers that were promoting this this charter school originally that was reactionary from the start that was an yeah. easy grab mm-hmm. for reactionaries to take and just crash teachers union some of the most active unions we've seen the wildcat strikes but some of that came about from you know the natural racism of the standards to get in there so it's a complex question today and it's a big tone of this book but basically the idea of the the mining thing is he became a leader of these unions that were very white supremacist and he had to like toggle you know bringing in black interests as a black union leader and they were kind of like one of those you know hey you're one of the good ones and he was like no Ooh. that's that's not the way this is going to go down um yes there, and again the, the biggest thing is is the the, the minor strike the minor strike fails yeah and why does the minor strike fail the minor strike fails because they were not <laughs> able to correctly identify the positions on the ground they were not able to know that hey strike is good but when ca- when we're in the middle of the depression and capital has all the resources, strike can only hold out for so long. And when your people are literally starving to death, if you don't have an organization on the ground built up to support them and keep them alive, they're eventually going to go. They're going to have to go back to work or they're going to die. Yeah, um, they had no idea what tactical retreat was or when to deploy it and or they, how to deploy it. And yeah. they were giving rosy reports home instead of being honest with what the conditions were. They were trying mm-hmm. to cover up what was going on and and that people were starting to go back to the mines and they were trying to paint those people as, as oh, they're, 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 not ideal, they're not pure. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's but it wasn't I mean at a certain point no they wanted to commit they wanted to do this but if you're not going to materially support people again this goes back to why we need a professional this is why we need a vanguard this is why you need a professional revolutionary yeah. party if you cannot if people cannot have their the black panthers do this better than mm-hmm. anybody if you don't meet people's material needs they are not going to be able to do revolutionary work right they're just not yeah but yeah but yeah. you can't do that if everybody in your movement's working 60 hours a week right exactly Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it comes out of this, right? Dying for the cause is a thing, and you die for the cause. That's that's you know, charging in and making a sacrifice of yourself in battle. It's not starving in the name of not being a scab. Right. You know, at some point, yeah. you've got to be able to handle this stuff. Yeah. And then, and then we go, uh, we go back, we go back to Russia because mm-hmm. yes, of course we do. We have oh, to. Yes. You got to go back. Got to go back supporter. to Russia. So again, we go back to we go back to Moscow. He's trying to one. They needed a delegate to the uh, the party conference, and this is a big, giant episode that is basically them debating the national question again because yeah. it's super important. It's important, but again, they they really are just getting down to uh, w- there was a debate on the line. There were some people that thought it was the race issue. There were some people that thought there should be. Um, 
self-determination. Um, as we know, uh, self-determination was the line. That's the line that won out. Um, but there were still factional infighting that kind of caused an issue. He tried to bring his wife back, um, to the U.S. Turns yeah. out, uh, one more time to cancel Hazel because if there's one <laughs> villain of this story, it's Hazel. Fuck um, Hazel. <laughs> fuck Hazel. Hazel left. He wanted to go back. They couldn't get divorce paperwork because mm. Hazel said that her church doesn't approve of God divorce. So she left. Oh. Hazel left Haywood, got married to someone else, had kids, but never got divorced because the church wouldn't oh. approve of it. Hazel, come on. And, and so uh, he had to leave his his lovely Russian wife Inya back in Russia, and then he never heard from her again. Sad. Oh no! Aww. Yeah, mean big same though. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Alex has also left their Russian wife back in the same. Mean Union. sad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and then we get possibly the best title chat again. The t- the chapter titles are good, oh, but chapter, uh, chapter fifteen sharecroppers with guns. Getting that as a tattoo. Oh, I think I saw and that over the summer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, He's it's got a few just, bullet holes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just good. Um, but this again, and 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 trying to get through it. This was there. This was the first time that Haywood went to the black belt to the deep south mm-hmm. to try and organize because organizing in new york and chicago and the mine strike was in pittsburgh um organizing in the north and organizing in the south are wildly different um and so he but he wanted that he was he was a little kind of nervous of it for obvious reasons but he wanted to go or you know try it out try out the line in the south and see how it worked with the masses and turned out the masses were there for it but uh you run into this minor problem of uh wild jim crow racism kind of makes it hard to do reformist electoral not electoral but reformist kind of policies when one side is allowed to indiscriminately murder you and the other side isn't seen as people um that that is a hard-ass struggle and i can't i can't even get my head around it still i think i mean we read reading through all of this you know, having to, he was dry, they were driving him down, driving a citizen of the free United States of America down in a convertible in the back underneath the seat so that he wasn't seen by townspeople as right. they drive through Mississippi and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's, it's insane. It's, it's incredibly, it's incredibly hard to even imagine that, that fear in your day to day life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's his reality. And so. Yep. It is. And when this is, again, at the same time that the United States is trying to make the Soviet Union out to be some sort of hellscape dystopia, mm-hmm. and t- it just is so great. It's so such cognitive dissonance for right. me to hear that mm-hmm. and then know that this is the truth that these people were living. It's uh, it's 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 very sad. This is the beginning of the sad turn, guys. I don't know if yeah. you know. This is also where Browder is introduced. Yeah, it's uh, and it. But there was there was a good barb in there about the KKK virtually being an arm of the state yeah oh yeah no 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 absolutely the next yeah and and you see i mean people they're they're talking about people he met in the south and this is where i don't i don't want to get bogged down in like the name Mm -hmm. stuff like that again read this book everybody like this is i if we hadn't done this if we hadn't i'm i'm still considering at some level going back and rereading this this? whole doing this doing this you should do like a hundred episodes on this book that we got honest (laughs) to god i might i'm 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 considering we'll we'll start it in the year 2023 and we'll end it in the year 2056 that is the great thing about our podcast is i will it will never end because all i i mean there's just no i can just read a book like it's not that hard and it will and and at the rate we're slowing down it took us like 27 episodes or like 17 episodes to do capital and that was like nah 800 pages and it's taking us like 
37 episodes to do 14 pages of Fanon for some reason. So, <laughs> well, I mean, but that's I mean, the thing. If you went back right now and did um, did Capital did, again, it'd be like thousands of episodes. <laughs> if we did Capital the same way, I think it's the difference of if you do Capital the same This is This book... Yeah, Capital like, also has like 20 pages of coats and linen. Yeah. And every, <laughs> every word of Fanon feels important. And the same oh, way absolutely. every word... It's it's Haywood and and I say that to say this book feels the same way. I understand yeah. we I like I know that we're the way we're doing this is different from how you guys even normally do your show and definitely different than sure. how we do our show. But this is a book that literally every single word that gets read in here to it is important because of the way it hand it the way it, it ties the whole narrative together. It's so yeah. when we skip stuff, it's, it's not a because great it's a great book. It's not just a good book. It is one it of is the best fantastic. Books. One of the it is the outside of state and rev. This mm, is the most important whoa. and important. Full book I've ever read, read as a communist. Wow. So we move on to uh, chapter sixteen. They're preparing for battle, the eighth, con- the eighth, yeah. eighth convention of the CPUSA, and this is where we're starting. So the economic crisis has passed. You've hit the you've hit the the down of the depression, mm-hmm. where everything is just basically shit all the time, mm-hmm. and everyone suddenly starts looking at Roosevelt as like some sort of savior. This is what happens if Bernie gets elected. Yes. Yeah, this yeah. is this is exactly what happens if we hit a depression in the next like six months and then Bernie I mean, wins. Yes. This will be like year yeah. three of Bernie's yep. presidency. Yes. Is, mm. is we will start looking at him as savior Bernie Yikes. and all of that kind of shit. And it'll be completely, you know, just divorced from material facts and, and reality. But it'll be what it is. So in in the eighth convention of the CPUSA, again, we're getting into it's more it's back and forth, factional bullshit. And again, I don't I don't think it's unimportant, but it's not. Uh, we no, it's very interesting, <laughs> but it has it, but it's not relevant to this episode right interesting to what because the history of the cpusa is very interesting yeah it's complicated but it has no real major relevance to this episode but this sentence does from Stalin. So as Stalin <laughs> yeah, said when board. he was dealing with a similar controversy considering Russian chauvinism and local nationalism in the Soviet Union, it would be foolish to attempt to give ready-made recipes suitable for all times and for all conditions as regards the chief and le- the lesser danger. Such recipes do not exist. The chief danger is deviation against which we have ceased to fight, thereby allowing it to grow into a danger to the state. The fact that white chauvinism was the main danger by no means implied that bourgeois nationalism under certain conditions could not be the main danger in a particular situation in the development of our work among blacks. Mm. No one could deny that this was the situation that developed in St. Louis. Shout out. Uh, (laughs) And in Harlem, (laughs) our experience in these situations shows that the bourgeois nationalism, if not fought, could become the main obstacle to advancing our work among blacks. So again, just Stalin, you know, they're talking about, because this whole thing is arguing over, well, what's the most important thing? What's the thing we have to be fighting right now? Is it nationalism? Is it, is it chauvinism? Is it, is it, what is it? And and the answer is it's all of it. It's, and you fight it individually, but you don't just say it's not, it's, because if you if you make it where no it's absolutely not nationalism it's definitely chauvinism nationalism is good actually kind of and then you backdoor your way into bad stuff yeah I mean you don't just go why chauvinism problem solved problem solved <laughs> chapter seventeen Chicago. Against war and fascism. Guys, we don't like fascism. So uh, we're getting to the point where Ethiopia, there, Italy's about to invade Ethiopia. Oh, the boy. CPUSA is at the front of trying to lead that fight against you invading, mm-hmm. um, against, uh, you know, Mussolini doing Mussolini things. Um, that's, he's sneaky Mussolini. He just sneaks into sneaky power. No one expects Mussolini. it coming. Sneaky Mussolini. There's a small, <laughs> sub, there's a small subgroup of people that play Hearts of Iron 4 that are going to get this <laughs> reference. And everybody else, and I'm sorry. All of but them are in there. our Discord. <laughs> yes. Don't, don't cut this. Those people. People need that. Um, <laughs> but again, they're, you're trying. And so again, you see 
when when the when the threat of fascism starts rising up, you see everyone kind of getting on the same page, but you also see the opportunists coming out of the woodwork because they recognize that everything kind of gets the blinders put on it when you go to war. And yeah. CPUSA used that as an attempt for Browder to really consolidate power, um, go into the uh, uh, start planting the seeds for what was to come um and i literally don't think i highlighted almost anything in that entire chapter because holy shit it was just a lot of lead up to uh to that which yeah, is well, there's a lot of seeds planted about ford and browder and and ford um it being you know browder's kind of big black representative that was going to undermine everything that yeah. that uh you know, we're not talking about Henry Ford. We're talking about some Ford guy from the yeah. CPUSA. That <laughs> yeah. Nobody, you don't have to know him. It's okay. <laughs> Spanish Civil uh, War. Well, hold on, hold on. One last thing about that, though, is is, is See, we do want David to mention in the chapter. We do want to mention in the chapter. It's, it it's important because it goes back and forth about how they have the hands off Ethiopia marches and they get bullied really hard by the Chicago police. Yeah. Hey, guys, turns out the CPD sucks dick. Yeah. <laughs> not sure if you're aware. Um, the guys that murdered Fred Hampton? Not a cool group of dudes. Yeah, oh, no. Uh, he talks about no, getting Chicago arrested. Department, death to them. Yeah. yeah. Um, death yeah. to them. Yeah. Simple. I mean, he talks about like people getting mass arrested in these protests and running through gauntlets and all kinds yeah. of mess. Yeah. Jeez. You know, but it, it was, was it, it was, was a very good it was a very good protest. They did what they needed. To, it was a it was a well organized protest and they, yeah. they they got their message out there. But a lot of people got uh, he got crippled, I think, to a certain extent where he couldn't walk for like three days because of the beating he took to his legs. Jeez. Yeah. Which was which was super which was super great. But leading up to that, how they got that like that was really fun because they actually had a they, they the police had it where like thousand of them were there to shut down a march could they could not get their march of 10,000 people through town and so what they did is they had different buildings and they took turns running up to the top of the building and shouting out on the megaphone and the police come and like beat that guy and take him down someone across the street was on a building shouting in a megaphone they turned it into protester (laughs) whack-a-mole it turns out it's an effective strategy yeah um right we're going to spain guys now we're going to spain before we get to spain though i just want to talk about in the browder's treachery chapter um God damn he it. mentions uh, <laughs> Haywood mentions um, he talks a lot about Paul Robeson and the reason I bring him yes. up is because we did an episode on him and I love him he was we a love him. Love him beautiful, so beautiful man but he talks about so so in 1948 Harry Haywood released um, his book Negro Liberation and mm-hmm. he says the way he was able to do that um, so in the book he says Paul Robeson was more than willing to subsidize me and like gave him hundreds of dollars a month to write like so he could write this book and just like focus on writing the book because of Paul Robeson. So yep. like again, Paul Robeson, blessed. Blessed. Oh, man. Love beautiful, him. beautiful Rest man. In peace. Love you. We love him. Uh, oh, yeah. Anyway, now we can go to Spain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. okay. And we and it will come Let's up later about when how Robeson does it again. Are wrong. <laughs> Always. I mean, we've I, if we haven't already. No, I mean. we have. <laughs> <laughs> what about so uh, George thing. Orwell? Here's the thing about Spain, and this is the... uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, This is actually really weird because... as much as I like, I got to this chapter and I got really excited because <gasps> the Spanish civil war, I wonder what this is where it all starts kind of falling apart in for me, at least because this is where not <sighs> Haywood does not have, we know what happens in Spanish civil war. The It, it doesn't, we don't sure. win it. Um, and we don't win it in large part because they were again. There was back they Stalin, ready to win it. They no, were not ready Stalin, to win it. Uh, no, back no. Off and yeah. removed. It's his yeah. fault. It, I mean, Jeez. you were you were getting you were getting absolute support from 
Germany from from Hitler and from Mussolini and the West refused to do anything yes. to try and help mm-hmm. Spain. Right. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing at all. I mean, so you have the full Axis yes. force essentially aligned trying to push Spain over. The Soviet and, Union tried to help and then they were oh like, God, this yes. is dumb. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's no, but there was no, again, when they, there, there's, if the, if the Soviet Union is the only one that are going to support them and Germany is sitting there staring down at them, ready to come fucking murk them, it's like, right. if the rest of the West is not going to raise a finger to stop this, I, no, at a certain point you can't. And it was, yeah. and it, and this, but this is well, where a lot of the, this is where, yeah, no, go, David. Oh, I was going to say, and there's also, you know, the issues where like the generals and things, and, and Harry Haywood was in a non-zero amount of wars, and at some point, <laughs> he knows what's going on there. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, the number's three, but fine. I mean, yeah, you can put it at nine. You're technically correct. I just well, don't understand the edge. Well, we're all at zero, so. Yeah. 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 So, three more uh, than most it, of us. So he would see this. Don't tell be me. Like, I've been, I've been in the gamer wars, man. I don't want to hear it. We saw this. We saw this first. You know, he saw this firsthand. It was like, why are we charging people into their death here? What kind of incompetent leadership do we have? And so, you know, you also had that factor in Spain where it was like just absolutely idiotic leadership. Yeah, there was no there was no real good organization there. Yeah. Um, and and this is where you start getting again, this is a lot of the page six TMZ nonsense of the book because the biggest TM, issue that's, of this that's whole so funny. The biggest issue of this whole incident is essentially that Haywood pushed in his and he admitted it. He pushed too hard for improvements for troops and stuff like that. And he clashed with the leadership. He clashed with the generals. The generals then blacklisted him, uh, made him persona non grata and and undermined his authority. Um the the cool thing that happened there was I was really impressed with the fact that his job, like the political commissar job, um, which basically his whole job was he was to run parallel to the military leadership, but his whole job was to, to, to be to the troops, to be to the masses, to be kind of the, to explain to them why we're doing what we're doing. Why is this part? Why should you be part of this struggle? Um, what, you know, here's what I'm doing to make sure that you're taken care of and that your needs are met. Um, you know, it, it, so you had the generals kind of leading the, the practical military applications, but then you had a political commissar assigned to all of them to, to, to relate to them why the struggle is important and why this is, why we're here and why, the, you know, why it's important. And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. But other than that, it really just breaks down to, yeah, we the the Spanish Civil War. He he left. He had to leave. He got undermined so badly that he was forced to leave the front um, and come back to America. And it's yeah. Now that I mean, leads to a lot of bad juju later yeah. in the book. Yeah, and and even among that, I mean, looking at the Spanish Civil War itself, you have the uh, what do you talk about? The Trotskyist P O uh, P O U M was uh, made like. Communes of Aragon or something was was like all put in charge. Yeah, there yeah. was a yes, there was a whole thing with the communes of Aragon where basically they were like they were so com- they were so committed to to being independent and doing whatever they wanted that they they got it. They wouldn't organize with anyone else. They got their asses overrun, and then that kind of broke the line, and everything fell from yeah. everything fell apart. Yeah, it was the the Trotskyists were like, we do it best, and you guys yeah. all suck, and and that uh, fucked everything up. Win? Oh, also, uh, if you want to know again why uh, whenever oh, but fascists and the communists are the same. Uh, here's a fun. Here's a fun little clip. What had happened? Uh, he had come back from a. They, they'd seen kind of a, a, a battleground. The bodies of women and children lying in the road. Oof. Uh, spo- trigger trigger warning for anyone. 
Huh? I like uh, how you said that after you said the. the well, we, <laughs> we have the glories of editing. You guys don't That's get trigger no, warnings. No, you're, you're, you're too much. You're too much. <laughs> Extra. What had happened? A group of fascists <laughs> fleeing the town had seized women and children as hostages, forcing them to march in front of them as a shield against, mm. against British fire. Oh my God. Passing the British, they suddenly opened fire and threw grenades, Jesus shoving the hostages fuck. aside and ru- as they rushed down the road. The British, caught off guard by this ruse, tried to defend themselves, but to avoid shooting women and children, they were unable to effectively reply and took many casualties as a number of fascists escaped. So again, the, the allied forces not wanting to murder women and children uh, were unable to fight and the fascists had no problem uh, throwing yeah. them into a hail of bullets so that they could escape with their skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, spoil! We're, we're moving on to another war, guys. It's World War II this time. Um, one, joining the merchant, I didn't realize the merchant marines at the time were like a wild, like a civilian union fighting force. Like that was really, that was a cool thing I learned that I didn't know about. Um, and so they had like you, like it was like a union boat where like everything was organized, like a, almost like the party would be. And you, you had your disputes resolved and all sorts of fun stuff, but that, yeah, whatever. Um, but World War II, with its beginning in the fascist invasion of Ethiopia, China, and Spain broke out in earnest with Hitler's blitzkrieg of poland in 39 the imperialist governments of france britain and the u.s uh which had been following a policy of appeasement towards the building up of the german war machine in the hopes of using it in an armed invasion of the soviet union now found themselves threatened their schemes against the soviets had been shaken by the non-aggression pact signed by the soviets with the germans in 39 oh the the soviets signed up with the nazis they're the bad guys (laughs) justin we're gonna have to do a world war ii episode at some point like a five-part series. Proles of the Great Patriotic Wars. Allies of the Round Table. There we go. But then it's it shows again. So you get down, you know, the Soviet policy had consist had been consistently urged joint action against fascist aggression. So the Soviets like, hey guys, can we stop this? And the, the the allies are like, no, we'd prefer they run your ass over. That would be nice. And then we don't have to because we know we'd lose. Um, the Soviets <laughs> offered to defend Czechoslovakia. The French refused to put their mutual defense pact into effect. The Soviets offered to defend Poland on the eve of the German invasion. Poland refused to allow the Red Army units to cross the border. Back to Poland, just sucking. Um, the British stubbornly refused any type of mutual assistance pact with the Soviet Union, hoping all the time for war between Germany and Russia. Uh, the Soviets thus moved to defend themselves and thwart this imperialist scheme, signing the non-aggression pact with Germany, a brilliant and necessary diplomatic move. Shocking. Again, yeah. this was not they were aligned with the Nazis because they liked the Nazis. It's mm. you all would like the Nazis to kill us and we don't want to die right now, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. going to we're going to do this to stall until we have enough time to go kill some Nazis that you don't want to bother killing. And th- and now is where we go on the pleasure cruise part. Now is when he gets on the this is where we go on like a, like a 75 page jaunt through the merchant marines where, you know, oh, we're sailing. <laughs> I mean, basically, if you could just play if you could just play like in the Navy to a montage of boats going all over the world on a map, that would be what we're doing right now. Um, the only part of this that I will read is our next port was Numea, New Caledonia, a French possession about 800 Pushy. miles east of Australia, which had been formerly a penal colony. The New Caledonia. 
Caledonians were Melanesians, big, fine-looking blacks with woolly hair. My interest in anthropology had led me to read extensively about these Asian Negroes, and I was glad to have the opportunity to meet them firsthand. So there's your tie-in for now, from last yeah, week. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> um, I looked at that. I was like, yay. Um, but yeah, then the, literally the rest of it is there's there's fights on the boat. There's people that don't agree on the boat. Some people mm. are running gambling rings on the boat. How do we handle this? It's all important. Read the book, but not really relevant to what we're talking yeah. about here. Yes. There's, there's a little bit about South Africa, but I think we're we're familiar with apartheid and how things. Were yeah, apartheid, Sad. apartheid, bad. Yeah, apartheid, yes. very bad. Uh, at one of the conventions, we did skip it, so I apologize, David. At one of the conventions, when they were talking about the decolonial question, um, the South African delegation came forward to have their speech, and the South African delegation was represented by three white people, and their main concern was, um, so they're saying, like, whites to the sea is their slogan. Uh, what are you guys going to do for the white people in South Africa? And the Communist International is, what the fuck are you guys going to do? Get, the, get out of their way. It's their land. Fuck off. Um, and that was fun. Um, there's one more thing in the Merchant Marines section because, again, it goes back to this explaining how things, you know, pogroms and all that. But he told me a year ago, a black seaman had been killed right there in Murmansk. There, he goes back to Russia on the boat. Do black people always have to fear for their lives in the United States? He asked, puzzled. Well, one can expect attack at any time, but not all whites are hostile and blacks have their own communities. He seemed puzzled by this whole thing and said, I guess it's like the Jews under the old regime. Precisely, I agreed. <sighs> so again, <sighs> and then... We kind of get towards the back and, and this is, and the back is again, I, we, we've got notes for all of this. Read the book because it's very fascinating. It's but a 700 page book. We yeah. can't cover it in two and a half hours. Yeah. Just I wait, know. wait for Mark's Madness's like 40 oh. episodes on. <laughs> It'll happen. It'll happen. I'll do it. Don't threaten me with a good time. Um, <laughs> but it, what, what ends up happening is essentially Browder takes over the communist party and decides that they should the, i think the most striking thing is he decides to liquidate the party he literally decide he literally comes out and says and this is not an exaggeration that the two-party system is fine we are best served uh, as an advisory uh like like an advisory group an association group underneath like the that party system like the dsa no big deal um, oh called out i i, I yeah no not mm-hmm, yeah that's the nicest thing we'll say about the dsa tonight um <laughs> the uh the no that they should be an advisory group and work within and that electoralism is the way to socialism literally the communist party sucks, of the usa yeah. came out with the line of really electoralism is the way we should do this um we, uh, we shouldn't be aligning with this let's align with the naacp and and yeah. that's how we're going to achieve our goals he literally voted to liquidate the party overnight they had to have an emergency session to rebring it back together but for the rest of the rest of the group it's it, it fell apart into that in and of itself the opportunism was there and so slowly but surely the party got reconstituted but the same kind of people that supported the move to liquidate the party were put in charge and now Mm -hmm. they keep going and it keeps dragging on and the party died a death of a thousand cuts from people not addressing people were were kept claiming that left sectarianism the left sectarianism was the real root of all problems that if the damn tankies would just shut up by the way left sectarianism (laughs) is absolutely 1930s talk for tanky that's all it is as as far as I can tell Um, because that's exactly they use it the exact same way it's Mm -hmm. the communists I don't like because that's all the fuck it is and the party from there on out was very anti-international and was if you need to understand like left sectarianism and and what is what constitutes something that you should work against versus what is just sectarianism? Go back to the Stalin 
uh, speech from seven yes. chapters ago, or whatever. from yeah. from an hour and a half <laughs> yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but currently, you know, I mean, and so this goes first. It's it's Browder liquidates it, and then Foster revives it. But it's the exact same lines. Uh, they're kind of tailing the Wallace election a little bit in some parts here, yeah, very much so. And then the NMU, the uh, uh, National Naval, Maritime Union, National Maritime Union. Uh, this is the organization that when he went on the the um, Merchant Marines, Merchant Marines, and was fighting in World War Two. That's the that. That's the uh, organization it was a part of. And that organization is suddenly going from much more revolutionary than even the CPUSA, which is kind of sad to the CPUSA, to running in the exact same veins uh, from uh, Koran, I guess is his name. Yeah, Koranism. Uh, yeah. C-U-R-R-A-N-O. Yeah, Joseph Koran. And, and so it's very it's very anti-communist. It might as well be the, the House on American Committees. And yeah. so he talks about he goes back on a ship to rejoin the NMU because he needs work. He's kicked out of the Communist Party. The, the you know the party's d- dissolving left and right. There's nothing he can do, and you can't exactly get work when everybody knows you're a famous communist. So he's getting very unstable, short-lived wait- waiting jobs, and so finally he joins back on the NMU, and he's in the ships, and he's hearing guys like rip on communists, and he's just like shutting his mouth because he's got no power at this point. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, it just when the, when the party when you took the party apparatus away, all of the ability to organize, all of the fights that they had won, every Everything got taken back. Yes. Um, and that, and again, it showed his Haywood's in his inability, his just his a complete, such a powerful thinker and such a powerful act organizer and activist. The fact that he basically had to go underground, flee to Mexico, live yep. out his life in Mexico City, where he was being followed around by FBI. I mean, there's a, there's a section where the FBI, there were FBI agents that would essentially tail him, uh, to the subway and, and, and just yell stuff, you know, oh, thank you for qu-. like, they were trying to get him to turn. Yeah, um, they were right. trying to get him to go against the party. And so he just had to flee, lives out the rest of his life in isolation out of the party, unable to do anything. And I think that's, I, it underlines so forcefully why you are not going to do this without a party behind the second the party was removed as an organization all of that work started falling apart. The sharecroppers union so, dissolved. All I'm of these not- other organizations fell to the wayside. So, so the ever deepening crisis and the increased threat of war between the two superpowers, this was U.S. and Russia, are affecting the li- living conditions of the broad masses of the American people. At the same time, the ability of the imperialists and the labor aristocracy to grant concessions and thus buy off dissent has been somewhat hampered by that crisis. Under such conditions, with the leadership of a new party, there is a strong possibility of building a movement based on the alliance between blacks and other nationalities of the working class. As Chairman Mao wrote in 1968, the struggle of the black people in the United States is bound to merge with the American workers movement, and this will eventually end the criminal rule of the U.S. monopoly capitalist class. I hope that this book, which sums up some of my experiences and that of many other comrades, will make some contribution to this lofty goal. Hey, 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 would like one of the best humans that ever walked the fucking planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, seriously, it's I, 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 it is, a, it is as high a bar mm-hmm. as I can set. Mm-hmm. It is the, it is the only thing I would put up on the same tier as Satan revolution. It is yeah. that yes. it, front yeah. to back. It is that important. Yeah. There are so many parts of this book. Yeah. And the fact and there, it there is, there are even, I mean, we, we kind of had to, cause there, there's such a block idea and we're doing yeah. an overview. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel like we just yada yada the last four chapters. <laughs> <laughs> we did. No, but we, we did. did, but I mean, there, there, there are some really 
good key things even yes. in there. There's little there's great nuggets, stuff the whole time. Little nuggets no, you, about yeah, you know you should white read chauvinism. And, you should read yeah. this book. You should absolutely. And if, the second yeah. it becomes the we, second uh, it becomes accessible in a format that is not double scan, very soon yes. we will get it. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> okay. get this book. S- submit a slogan just so you can get one of the hardcover <laughs> copies because yes, they're fucking fantastic, please. especially with the books mm-hmm. with the pictures in the middle. The pictures are fantastic. Yeah, just the cool. whole fucking thing is amazing. We'll include those in our version. Yes. So thanks so much to Mark's Madness for coming on tonight and thank you so much to everyone for listening some suggested reading will be in the show notes and the only suggesting reading is black you can find mark's madness online anywhere if you, Google <laughs> mark's madness. you should see justin's facial expression like what the fuck um, are you asking, <laughs> i don't know why i'm reading this so, so um our sponsors are all the excellent fans on Patreon. As always, we have way too many to read now. So uh, since the last time we recorded, these are the new ones. Aaron Austin. Bosif Ballin. <laughs> <laughs> Bradley Chris Comrade Killinen. Corinne Derica. Dixieland of the Proletariat. This is also a podcast. You should go listen. Oh, oh, shit. Dominique Donald F. That's, the, the, that's F. the name. <laughs> the letter F. Yep. Um, Gassam Harold the infamous AK, which is a great weapon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Joseph <laughs> Justin, not me. <laughs> Kyler Michael Proly McProlface. <laughs> <laughs> PSI Queer Antifa. It's critical nice. sport. <laughs> Riley, Ryan, Steven, Tanuami, Tanner, Tiago, Tradical Wife has some great My art. Bud. Like go Love check her. that out. Yep. Yeah. Um, unbuttered toast. <laughs> That's I like I, no support for unbuttered toast. Like no butter <laughs> your no. fucking toast. Yeah. I can't even give critical sport there now. <laughs> <laughs> and will. All of these people are inspiring and revolutionary and make it easier for us to make this podcast for you and have it sound good. We've got like eight mics and like a (laughs) studio with some bullshit. Yeah. So it better sound good. You have a picture of Lennon on the goddamn wall. You have a studio. It's a metal bar. It's a metal metal bus. Get the fuck out of here. We've established what we're calling the USSP with several satellite podcasts, and we've started centralizing links on the various feeds on our website. Check it out. Sounds authoritarian. And we'd also like to thank Ransom Notes for our intro music, which is a banger. Uh, check him out on SoundCloud. Don't forget to rate and review. Visit prolspod.com and submit your submissions for the... <laughs> submit your submissions? Hell yeah. <laughs> wow. For the... Uh, wow. Yeah, for the slogan. Yeah. Uh, for this podcast, you can get a free copy of this amazing book. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, like us on facebook.com slash prolspod. Follow us on Twitter at prolspod. If you have any feedback, topic ideas, or suggestions, we'll throw them in the ignore box. Feel free to send them <laughs> to send us an email at prolspod or in the comment box on our website. Thank you for tuning in and solidarity forever. forever. Love you. Bye. 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 United forever in friendship and labor, our mighty republics will ever endure. The great Soviet Union will live through the ages, a dream 
of a people, their fortress secure. Long live our Soviet motherland, built by the people's mighty hand. Long live our people, united and free, strong in a friendship pride by fire. Long may our crimson flag inspire, shining in glory for all men to see. Through days dark and stormy, while great Lenin led us, our eyes saw the bright sun of freedom above, and Stalin our leader with faith in the people inspired us to build. Soviet motherland, this 